Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Thursday, March 9th, 2017. Yeah, hats off to Tim Challies for uh, pointing out William Paul Young's new book. I've been uh, literally pouring through it today. You will be hearing from William Young and his real theology. Holy smokes. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseboro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ. And this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you to slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare. Compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. There is no shortage of crazy things being said out there. And uh, we take the time to open up God's Word to compare and see what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles and apostolettes, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, whose books we need to be buying, whose small group curricula apparently we need to be studying instead of the Word of God. Oh, yeah, that's generally how that goes, isn't it? And over and again, we demonstrate that what is being taught is far, far, I mean, like, it's not even just far, it's like diametrically opposed to what the scriptures actually say, and the the lies are getting more brazen, the heretics are emboldened, and the nonsense is nonstop, is the best way I can put it. So, Let's talk about what we're going to do on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. Uh, we've, oh man, really important stuff that we need to do here today. So we're going to start, we're going to begin with a new apostolic reformation update. I know it seems a little bit odd, but uh, I kind of have to chop the hour up a little bit, uh, you know, properly here. And we are kind of working from a, a, a more than kind of, we are working from a, a similar theme, but um Let's talk about what we're going to do. We're going to begin with a Cindy and Mike Jacobs update for NAR, and we're going to listen to uh, Mike Jacobs. And uh, basically, I just want to—I want to warn you all out there: if you're getting old, yeah, if you're getting old and your body's falling apart, and you're thinking, "Well, how old do I need to be?" Well, you know, if you're in your 60s, 70s, or whatever, and your body doesn't look look like you're 40. And you're not, you know, able to do the things you did when you were 40, then you are not being a good witness for the kingdom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wish I was making that up, but I'm not. 
<laughs> so we're, we're going to hear from Mike Jacobs, and we're going to go back in time. We're going to go back in time, and we're going to listen to Shayon. We're not going to use our uh, our DeLorean today for this, but we're going to listen to Shayon, who's an apostle today. And we're going to hear him talking about a prophetic wave. But the important thing here is this is Shay on after arriving at Todd Bentley's Lakeland, quote-unquote, revival. Mm -hmm. And important to note here is that this revival started without any apostolic, uh, you know, commissioning or whatever. So they had to go back and kind of backfill the the apostles doing their thing for this. But we're going to listen to Shayon, who is an apostle today, and uh, listen to what he says regarding uh, the Lakeland Revival. That's going to be an important data for us in the second hour. But then in uh, the second half of the first hour, we are going to be listening to um, William Paul Young. William Paul Young, the author of The Shack, he has a brand new book out. I mean, literally just came out on March 7th, so two days ago. Came out two days ago. The name of it is Lies We Believe About God. Well, clearly, this book's release was intentionally designed to coincide with the release of the Shack movie uh, out in theaters. And listen, the best way I can put this is that um, if you ever had any doubts about what it is that uh, William Paul Young believes, don't worry. I mean, I'm just going to give you three examples, which I consider to be like a tantamount, that clearly put him outside of the Christian faith. I mean, there is no other way to describe what it is that you're going to hear. And uh, we're going to hear him deny the doctrine of original sin. We're then going to hear him literally come up with his own gospel. And by the way, Scripture itself uh, it literally says that even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one already preached, let him be damned. Yeah, William Paul Young comes to us with a totally different gospel. And uh, and then uh, flat out attacking, I mean straight out attacking, penal substitutionary atonement, and uh, caricaturizes it as child sacrifice. So uh, we're going to hear that all from William Paul Young in his own words, and uh, he reads his own audio book version of this, which is where we got the sound bites from. And uh, all I can say is the the hope is that uh, this segment of Fighting for the Faith will do a good job of warning people about the dangers of William Paul Young. And this theology that you hear in this book of his, this new book, the lies we believe about God, this is exactly the same theology that is embedded in the shack that he's been trying to do some kind of a fan dance to uh, not openly, you know, say that this is what he believed. But apparently he's let his guard down and decided to put out a theological work just straight up saying what it is that he believes. So, And then in hour two, we're going to head to Korea, and we're going to listen to a very long sermon by Shay On at a conference that he recently gave in Korea talking about the New Apostolic Reformation. And all I can say is that Bill Johnson was in the audience, Heidi Baker was in the audience, and after listening to Shay On so openly say what the New Apostolic Reformation is, 
I would simply ask Michael Brown, why do you keep calling it the so-called New Apostolic Reformation? Yeah, so that will be today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. I mean, literally, this is a barn burner as far as the stuff that we're going to be covering. And since we're going to begin with a New Apostolic Reformation update, that requires us to do this. What do you want to do tonight? The same thing we do every night, Pinky. Try to take over the world. The Pinky and the Brain. Yes, Pinky and the Brain. One is a genius, the other's insane. The laboratory mice, the genes have been sliced. The Pinky, the Pinky and the Brain. Brain, 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 brain. Before each night is done. Their plan will be unfurled by the dawning of the sun. They'll take over the world. They're pinky and the brain. Yes, pinky and the brain. Their twilight campaign is easy to explain. To prove their mousy worth, they'll overthrow the earth. They're pinky, they're pinky and the brain, 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 brain. All right, so we're uh, heading over to, well, what's the name of this church? Hang on a second, <laughs> got to pull it up. The uh, the King of Kings Worship Center, where uh, Cindy and Mike Jacobs recently appeared as guest speakers. And we're going to hear Mike Jacobs uh, from this message explaining how uh, getting old really diminishes your witness. Yeah, I wish I was making that up. He'll be twisting Joshua chapter 14 along the way. But uh, here's Mike Jacobs to explain. You a little about me before she starts. Um, starting about February of last year, I began to reboot my life. Let me tell you what I mean by that. I was in Hawaii, and um, the Lord said, You've been talking old about yourself. I was 67 at the time. And he said, if you don't stop speaking old about yourself, how many of you are older and you start going, well, you know how it is when you get older and then you add stuff to that? Any of you do that? The Lord said, if you continue to do that, your body is hearing you and it will do exactly what you tell it. Uh-huh. So there it is. Uh, apparently, uh, the reason why people get old is because they believe in this thing called aging. And then they say things like, yeah, well, I'm getting older, so my body you know, doesn't work the way it did. My brain doesn't function the way it used to. And see, when you speak that way, your body hears you talking like this, and then it responds accordingly, kind of the... Uh, <clears throat> so I didn't know that we can solve the uh, the aging problem process thingy by just, you know, speaking positive words about ourselves. Let's hear as Mike explains what m what more the Lord told him. I thought, okay, can I, can I pull out this card? <laughs> no, this is like you never win an argument with God card, okay? So I thought, well, Lord, you know, what am I supposed to do? I want to be, I want to be scriptural. And he said, remember the story of Caleb. Caleb, when he was 85 years old, was still wanting to go into the promised land. And, and the statement he was able to make was this. I am 85 years old, 
And yet I still have the same strength and vitality that I did when I was 40 years old to go in and possess the land. Yeah, um, there's a reason for that. If you remember, the Lord made it very clear that um, after the whole 12 spies who went to spy on Canaan incident, yeah, you know the song, you know, 12, went, 12 men went to spy on Canaan, 10 were bad and 2 were good. What did they see when they spied on Canaan? 10 were bad and 2 were good. Some saw giants big and tall. Some saw grapes and clusters fall. Some saw God rule over all. 10 were bad and 2 were good. Yeah, remember that song? Anyway, so the 10 spies who didn't believe the Lord, they and all of the generation of the people at like 20 years and older, None of them ever made it to the promised land. They all died in the wilderness because they didn't believe God. Their children, though, did go in to possess the land. And the two fellows who believed the Lord, Joshua and Caleb, God did a miracle for them. And the miracle he did for them was similar to the miracle that he did regarding their clothing and their sandals. You're thinking, what? Yeah, that's right. Read the text. You find out that the children of Israel, in their wanderings, in the wilderness, God made it so that their sandals didn't wear out, their clothes didn't wear out, and and so things lasted, all right? Kind of an important thing when you don't have any natural resources. And, you know, here on earth, the clothes have a tendency to wear out pretty quick, especially if you're wearing them every day. So God made a miracle to make it so their sandals and their clothes didn't wear out. Well, the same thing applied to Joshua and Caleb themselves. In Joshua 14, we hear about this from Caleb, and it says this in verse 6, The people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, you know what Yahweh said to Moses, the man of God in Kadesh Barnea, concerning you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought him word again as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt, yet I wholly followed Yahweh my God." And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord your God. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses. So you'll notice, Caleb makes it clear. Who is the one who kept him alive? It was the Lord. I am this day 85 years old. I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then for war and for going and coming. Now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day, for you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with the great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord had said. So there you have it. Okay, there's the text. Now, Mike Jacobs, uh, one of the one of God's generals, and his wife is considered to be an apostolate. Mm -hmm. She is considered to be an apostolate in the New Apostolic Reformation. He is claiming that the Lord spoke to him and said, you've got to stop speaking about age and things like that because your body will hear you and you'll get old. And when he asked God to give him a text, you know, a biblical text to back this up. He claimed the Lord told him about Joshua. 
And therefore, this descriptive text is now by order of the apostles, mm -hmm. by order of God's generals, Mike and Cindy Jacobs, is now a prescriptive text. And if you're getting old, well, you're doing something wrong, sinful. You're you're not pleasing God. He's going to explain a little bit more. We continue. Now listen, this is not only, I'm not only giving you permission, I'm giving you a command. Because until you're 85, you should be 40 and have the same strength and vitality that you did. Notice what he just said. He is giving a command. You need, if you're 85 years old, you need to be as healthy, fit, trim, and young as when you were 40. And if you're not, you are disobeying this command from God. And then you go, yeah, but what happens when I'm 85? Go in and take your land. Right, yeah, when you're 85, then you go in and take your land. Right? Not taking it yet. So anyway, I began this, this reboot process, and then, um, you know, how many of you know Bill Hammond? Well, Mike Jacobs doesn't look eight, uh, 40 to me. He always teases us when he's around because he's gotten a little uh, heavier as he's gotten older. He calls himself, as he stands sideways, I am the Archbishop. <laughs> and so I started looking at my body, and I thought, you're becoming an Archbishop too. And so uh, about in October, uh, I started rebooting my body. And I have gone from... 227 down to 202. Yeah. And uh, now, it, wives, if you would like to see your husband reboot, get out your cell phone, get out your smartphone, and type reboot to 66866. And I will and I'll put you on email list and I'll, I'll start talking to you about that. But I'm rebooting all of me, not just my body. Spirit, soul, and body. I don't know how many of you understand the principle of a three-legged stool. You know, spirit, soul, and body, like three legs of a stool. In church, you tend to be pretty strong on the spirit side. But unfortunately, we don't focus so much on the body side. And I'm seeing way too many of my friends get ill because they have compromised immune systems. They don't take care of their body, and yet they're all spiritual. And then they die young, or they don't have the quality of life that they should, and they're really not a good example for the kingdom. Mm, yeah, so if you're getting old, you are not a good example for the kingdom. Yeah, you know, if your body isn't working the way it did when you were 40 or 20, yeah. You are not a good example for the kingdom. You might as well hang it up. You have no ability to tell anybody anywhere about Jesus Christ and him crucified for their sins. You, you need to hang your head in shame and see yourself as somebody who is disobeying this important new command from God. Now, I, I think you get the point there. Now, we're going to change gears. We're going back in time. We're going back to the Lakeland Revival. And I need to play this because I want you to hear Shay on gushing on and on at uh, Todd Bentley's so-called Lakeland Revival. And hear what's going on here. Now, keep this in mind. Todd Bentley launched this thing, this great move of God, as they claimed it was. And you will hear Shay on talking this way. Um, without any um, apostle leading it. And so... They had to go back and kind of, you know, back backfill 
the apostolic commissioning for it and all that kind of stuff. I think this is part of what was going on there. But uh, here's Shayon and his first appearance at the Lakeland Revival. Shay, I know there's an apostolic anointing on your life. You've been around the world. Yeah, that's right. He just said there's an apostolic anointing. That makes Shay an apostle. Pastor, Harvest Rock Church, HIM, Apostolic Network. You've been through revival. But you come and you're here. I'd like you to share with us your experience. I want you to tell me about that wave, the prophetic sign. This anointing is here and... I believe that we need to pay a price for something tonight. And I want you to begin to understand the magnitude of what we could be coming into. Todd, I'm just, um, I'm just so humbled because of what you went through. All of us have gone through. When I think of John Arnott being rejected by his brothers in 1995, I remember I was kicked out of two movements, but it was all part of the preparation, the breaking for the anointing. Yeah, now keep in mind, uh, you know, guys like Shayon, they were even too wackerdoodle for, you know, like the vineyard movement. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's just kind of important information to keep in mind here. I think that's what they're referencing. And for you to share so candidly and with humility... I remember the late John Wimber said, don't trust a person who doesn't walk with a limp. We've been through it, all of us. But he's preparing us because he knows the glory. We can't handle the glory without the humility, without the brokenness. And he's prepared you for such a time as this. There's a Branham anointing on you. It's a double portion of it. The Lord is raising you up. I feel like a double portion of the Branham anointing apparently has fallen on Todd Bentley. Who knew? I want to just say that I must decrease, you must increase. And I say that for all the revivalists. I say that with all my... Um, so Shayon must decrease and Todd Bentley must increase? What? God is raising up a company that with a double portion of the voice of healing revivalists that we saw. We haven't seen anything yet. This is just the beginning. And we were just last week, last week we were having a retreat based on a prophetic word that Bob Jones gave two years ago. He said, listen, bring the revivalists together. And so Heidi Baker got that word, shared it with John Arnott, Bill Johnson, with me. And so we gathered together. Bill said, I'll pay for it. Bill Johnson put us up at a five-star hotel in Kauai. We were having the meeting right on the grass under the cover of the cabana because, you know, Randy was there. Randy Clark is fair At the Copa, Copa Cabana. Uh, sorry. He didn't want to get burned up. And we were a hundred yards, maybe I would say... 200, 200 feet from the beach. You know, the interesting thing for people that might not know is Randy Clark yeah. got a touch of revival right. in 1993. Right. And there was a wave that he came He got touched by Rodney. Rodney Howard Brown. Yeah, it's been this incredible change. Which succession. had a great revival here in Lakeland. <laughs> That's right. It's full circle. And Rodney went to Toronto with John Arnott. That's right. It broke and it out. sparked the Toronto blessing. Yeah, so here we've got uh, them waxing eloquent about all kinds of heretical so-called revivals and revivalists. 
Which you, your church in Pasadena came into that too. Exactly. Went to Toronto. I received the impartation. John came in 1995 to Pasadena. Said, start protracted meetings. We started five nights for three and a half years. And we were given the ultimatum with the movement we were part of. We had to either shut it down. Or get out of the movement. I mean, you, John Arnott, <laughs> Randy Clark, Heidi Baker, Bill Johnson. Boy, that's quite the, uh, the illustrious list of uh, false teachers, don't you think? Right. I mean, you guys George are real generals of revival. So we were there, and we were just having two days. Generals is uh, code talk in the NAR for apostles. Of seeking God, Bob Jones, Bill Johnson calls Bob Jones. We try to call you. Because we heard about the revival that was breaking out, and we couldn't get a hold of you. And so Bill Johnson called Bob Jones, and, and Bob Jones begins to prophesy, and he said, this is the third wave. The same thing you said last... Mm. So the Lakeland revival, according to the dead false prophet Bob Jones, was the beginning of the third wave. That's important code talk within the NAR. He said to us, he said, the first wave was Toronto, the second wave was Pensacola, and then he said, the third wave is Lakeland, and it's going globally, and listen, this is what happened. The moment he said, this is the third wave, this is not an exaggeration, I'm facing the beach. So the Lakeland revival's going global, okay. We're on the grass, we're not even on the beach, we're on the grass. All of a sudden, from nowhere, this huge wave, I'm talking about a huge wave, went all the way and hit us right at the feet where we were gathered together. Yeah, by the way, there's a term for what he just did there. That's called the reading of omens, and scripture explicitly forbids it. God and it scared the daylights out of all of us. A literal wave. We're talking about one wave. It wasn't a you know a series of, or sets of waves. It was such a prophetic act, a sign from God when He said, "Yeah, it, it wasn't a prophetic act, and it wasn't a sign from God." That's the reading of omens, and God's word forbids this. The third wave. This wave came out. Ask any of us, and we just just said, "God, this is you." Then you got a supernatural confirmation, a physical confirmation of what's happening spiritually. And then you got on a plane. I said, I'm going there. I said, guys, I don't know. You guys, I'm canceling my meeting. I'm going there. I got on the first flight. I am so hungry, Todd. (laughs) I'm telling you, Wendy Alec, co-founder of God TV, sent me a prophecy. Yeah. And I I posted this on my website. If you've not been onto my website, you've got to read the word of the Lord. It's it's awesome. And it has to do with how this anointing is going to go all the way back out to California. Yeah. You gotta I'm come. You, you got to come to California. I'm telling you. And so there's an anointing that's going to go all the way out to California. Okay. You're here and, and David Tomblin. So we can clearly uh, say now that the um, the lady in charge of God TV is a false prophetess also. That's from, right, David. It's from Pasatina, one of our associates. And I know that this is prophetic. That God is going to send this mighty wave. I want everyone to prophesy with me here in Lakeland that this mighty wave right. Right. is going all the way out to California, <laughs> Highway 40, coast to coast. And, we- and Shayon literally just fell over backwards. Release that mighty Holy Ghost. It- 
And now Todd Bentley is throwing people Send- around the stage and people are dropping like flies. All over the world! The wave is moving! The wave is moving! The wave is... Come on, catch the wave! Catch the wave! I've done the wave when I, you know, Dodger Stadium. I've done it, like, in Cincinnati. You know, things like that. In Canada! Catch it in Canada! Catch it in Australia! Catch it in England! Catch it in Asia! Catch it in Europe! Catch it all over the world! So I think you get the idea here. Something's really screwy. And uh, just tuck that little bit of information away in your mind, although it's very creepy, very weird, and clearly chock full of false prophecies. Um, Yeah, and uh, when we get into our number two, uh, as we listen to Shayon in Korea, literally speak openly about the New Apostolic Reformation it'll start to make sense as to why we put that in there. All right, we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email us regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we're going to be checking in with William Paul Young, the author of The Shack, Wait till you hear his theology from his newest book. Stay tuned, don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. We don't need to rethink Christianity. We need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Monty Python's Flying Circus Church. The management of Monty Python's Flying Circus Church would like to apologize to all of our listeners. Normally, we do parody here at Monty Python's Flying Circus Church. Unfortunately, due to unforeseen circumstances in the current miserable state of the church, uh, we can no longer parody the church because the church just parodies itself. For proof of this particular concept, uh, we now present to you um, the uh, Holy Ghost Hokey Pokey. I'll tell you, three weeks ago, we did a Friday Night School of the Spirit, and we saw 12 people heal the Word of Knowledge and 40 healed during the Holy Ghost Hokey Pokey. Let's just go ahead and do that and see what the Lord does. You guys okay to do a little Holy Ghost Hokey Pokey? Can you lead it? All right, Brian's going to lead us in the Holy Ghost Hokey Pokey. You can Put your right hand in, put your right hand out. You put your right hand in, you put your right hand out. You put your right hand in, you dig your right hand out. You put it in, and you shake it, and you shake it all about. You put your left hand in, you take your left hand out. You put your left hand in, you take your left hand out. You put your left hand in, you take your left hand out. Put it in, and you shake it, and you shake it all about. You put your right foot in, you take your right foot out. You put your right foot in, you take your right foot out. You put your right foot in, you take your right foot out. 
We here at Pyro Christian Radio understand the importance of outreach ministries and what they can provide for the people they serve. We've recently discovered a small charity organization called Kenyan Christian Arts. This group has come together to craft and sell unique handmade Christian art locally and around the world to provide the funds necessary to feed, Medicaid, and educate orphan children in Kenya. Additionally, a portion of the proceeds from every purchase is donated to the FredEx International Foundation to help the poor and orphan children all over western Kenya. Please visit KenyanChristianArts.com and take a look at their selection of hand-carved soapstone goods. Their selection includes a variety of pieces such as crosses, vases, nativity sets, and even mugs. Remember, that's KenyanChristianArts.com. Thank you. That was a rationalistic uh, approach to epistemology. Uh, post-modernity had some wonderful critiques of modernity. Oi, Captain! We got ourselves a heretic! Uh, yeah. 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 Even worse. And exactly how do ye of, know uh, that she be a heretic? Uh, so she be endorsing the health and wealth heresy. Does he be speaking the truth? Jesus died to make right. us rich! Yeah. Yeah. 
First off, and what exactly do we do with heretics? Young. Literally deny uh, the doctrine of them in the sin. Books. And we're going to need to tell you No, no, no. Not just we preach the gospel to them. Goes about doing it. What if um, the heretic doesn't repent? Then we throw them in the boo box. is to heretic, to R is to pirate. Get yourself over to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash Refermanda and purchase yourself a copy of the game Refermanda and join the fight for the faith today. Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that the theology in the shack, well, (laughs) is uh, heretical. You want to avoid that shack. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. And you can partner with us. It is a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute, well, an amount that you pick. That's right. There are three ranks in our crew. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's made at $24.95 a month. From there, Master Gunner at $49.95 a month. And then Quartermaster at $99.95 a month. This is a great way to support us. Of course, if you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the donate button or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, here we go. These are the sounds of the emergent postmodern Philharmonic Orchestra conducted by Doug Paget. Sitting in today on the French horn is William Paul Young, author of The Shack. Now, as you can tell by this rendition of uh, Strauss's also Sprock Zarathustra, that, well... Postmodern Philharmonic Orchestra has abandoned all modernist definitions of notes and are now just being led by Sarayu. That's the Holy Spirit, according to William Paul Young. avant-garde, so cutting edge. All right, so um, William Paul Young, the author of The Shack, two days ago 
had a brand new book published. The name of the book is Lies We Believe About God. That's the name of the book, Lies We Believe About God. And the best way I could put it is that pretty much everything that William Paul Young says is a lie about God is the truth, and everything that he says is the truth is a lie. Um, that's the best way I can put it. And for the past decade, the best way I could put it is that William Paul Young has done a fine job of being quite evasive and having others defend him regarding his theology, and uh, he's been really tough to nail down. Uh, in fact, as difficult to nail down as Jello is to a wall. Um, so, that being the case, this particular book is quite fascinating because in it, in this book, William Paul Young flat out explains to us what his theology really is. And shock of shocks, are you ready? All the, <laughs> the claims that his critics have been making for 10 years like the shack denies the doctrine of original sin, that he teaches universalism, that he denies the penal substitutionary atonement. Well, here's the shock. William Paul Young now, with the release of the movie The Shack, is has this book out that, well, pretty much affirms that his critics and what they said about his theology all along was true. Yeah, here's an example and uh, this is William Paul Young explaining how the the lie that God is good and we are not is a very dangerous teaching. Here we go. God is good. I am not. This lie is huge and it is devastating. So why is it so largely believed? Many of us believe that God sees us all as failures wretches who are utterly depraved. We've written songs to reinforce our assumptions, penning lyrics about our own ugliness and separation. We think, when I hate myself, am I not simply agreeing with God? If we took the time to listen to one another's stories, we would discover that most of us have something in common. Shame is the centerpiece of our self-appraisements. But we didn't get there alone. Some of us heard a constant barrage reinforcing this lie. You are worthless. You are stupid. You are not valuable. You're just dumb. I hate you. Why can't you? You have made my life miserable. You're trash. You are damaged goods. Does God agree with how I see myself and what others have told me about who I am at the core of my being? Does anything that is not good originate in God? No. Are we still image bearers made in the image of God? Yes, we are. God, who is only good, creates only good, very good. Yes, we have crippled eyes, but not a core of ungoodness. We are true and right but often ignorant and stupid, acting out of the pain of our wrong-headedness, hurting ourselves, others, and even all creation. Blind, not depraved, is our condition. Remember, God cannot become anything that is evil or inherently bad. And God became human. 
I am fundamentally good because I am created in Christ as an expression of God, an image bearer, Imago Dei. See Ephesians 2 verse 10. All right. Now, that was the quote, and you'll notice I didn't interrupt him. We're going to work our way back through each of these quotes. We're going to play it first, and then we'll work our way back through these so that you can hear the theology and, I mean, the the rank heresy and understand what it is that he's doing. There's so much going on here that's wrong uh, that uh, it takes a careful study to uh, be able to spot exactly just where this thing goes off the rails. So let's go back through the soundbite and uh, see if we can pick this thing apart. Here we go. God is good. I am not. This lie is huge, and it is devastating. So why is it so largely believed? Many of us believe that God sees us all as failures, wretches who are utterly depraved. We've written songs to reinforce our assumptions, penning lyrics about our own ugliness and separation. We think, when I hate myself, am I not simply agreeing with God? All right. Now, we're going to unpack this a little bit here. Now, notice um, what's missing, and that would be a Bible. Mm Mm-hmm. So William Young is not providing us with a a sound look at at a survey of what Scripture teaches regarding the human condition. Far from it. And uh, as a result of it, he's not actually telling us the truth. And then he slips into a straw man argument that really has nothing to do with what it is that he's talking about, which is extremely clever and very slick. But uh, let's take a look at a clear passage. Ephesians chapter 2. Here's what it says. And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. This is what Scripture reveals about the human condition as a result of Adam and Eve's fall into sin. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 says this, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died through the one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift of of that grace of the one man Jesus Christ abounded for many." The free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of the one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man Jesus Christ? Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men... So, one act of righteousness leads to justification in life 
for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now let me also give another passage here also just to kind of help. John chapter 3, we'll come back to this in a little bit, but I want you to hear these words. Whoever believes, this is verse 36, John three thirty-six. whoever believes in the Son of God has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So, Scripture clearly says that we are dead in trespasses and sins, and through Adam's sin, we were all made sinners. That's what Scripture says. And Paul, when he writes to the church in Corinth, not Corinth, Ephesus, when he writes to the church in Ephesus and tells them, listen, you used to be this before you became Christians. You were dead in trespasses and sins, but God made you alive. That's important talk. And so the doctrine of original sin, this, the, the Reformed call it the doctrine of total depravity. It's the T in TULIP. The doctrine of original sin that is explicitly taught in Scripture in many, many, many places. I mean, even the psalmist said, In sin did my mother conceive me. So, note, William Paul Young is not actually engaging in teaching what Scripture says. He's engaging in something called theologizing. And theologizing without any biblical text is really psychology. We're learning a lot about William Young, but we're not learning a lot about what Scripture says. And so here's the idea. You know, quad non est biblicum, non est theologicum. If it's not in the Bible, it's not theology. But we're hearing theology from William Young. And so he talks about depravity and, you know, that there's hymns about total depravity and, and, and how we're sinful and fallen. And then he engages in sophistry and changes the subject. He talks about those who engage in self-hating or self-loathing talk and saying, I am worthless. That's something very different than the doctrine of total depravity. But uh, let's continue, and then we'll explain what else he does here. If we took the time to listen to one another's stories, we would discover that most of us have something in common. Shame is the centerpiece of our self-appraisements. But we didn't get there alone. Some of us heard a constant barrage reinforcing this lie. You are worthless. You are stupid. You are not valuable. You are just dumb. Yeah, that's not exactly the same thing as the doctrine of original sin. I hate you. Why can't you? You have made my life miserable. Now, let me give you another text here. This will help. Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. Here's what Scripture reveals about all of us, starting at verse 9. Paul writes, What then, are we Jews any better off? Well, no, not at all, for we have all we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, and together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. This is how Scripture describes 
all of us. But William Paul Young is not interested in actually teaching what the Scripture says. He has his own personal theology. You're trash. You are damaged goods. Does God agree with how I see myself and what others have told me about who I am at the core of my being? Does anything that is not good originate in God? Now, this move is to engage in theology using logical syllogism. Okay, Again, I go back to quad non est biblicum, non est theologicum. And this is an important thing that we need to discuss here is that there are two types of enthusiasts in the world. And you're going, well, what's an enthusiast? An enthusiast is, well, one, it's called God within-ism. And we're all familiar with the, uh, the, you know, the NAR, the charismatic and Pentecostal movements, where they look inside themselves and believe that God is speaking to them through their feelings, nothing more than feelings. But there is another way in which you can engage in enthusiasm. And you can do it with thoughts, mm-hmm. where your you decide what is rational and what is you know reasonable to believe, and you build a theology using logical syllogism and reason, your own exalted reason. It's a form of enthusiasm, and that's what William Paul Young is doing here. So he begins. Well, did it? Does you know? Does God create anything that's not good? Huh? Does anything that's not good have its origin in God? Uh, I, I guess not. Well, then, you have your origin in God, right? Yeah, I guess I do. So, therefore, you are good. Hmm. This is building theology using logical syllogism. And you can't do that. Quad non est biblicum, non est theologicum. If it's not in the Bible, it's not theology. It's not Christian doctrine. And so you must be careful. And so what William Paul Young is doing here is, well, building his own personal theology using what he believes is reasonable and rational. Let me back it up just a little bit. Thing that is not good originate in God. No. Are we still image bearers? Made in the image of God. Yes, we are. Mm-hmm. Yet that image is marred by sin. You see, Romans 5 said, through the sin of Adam, the one man, the many, all of us, were made sinners. God, who is only good, creates only good, very good. Yes, we have crippled eyes, but not a core of ungoodness. Crippled eyes, so apparently we're suffering from crippled eye uh, syndrome. Not that we're made to be sinners, as Romans 5 says. We are true and right, but often ignorant and stupid. Ah, So our ignorance and stupid stupidity is keeping us from recognizing just how amazing and good and wow we are. Right, okay. Acting out of the pain of our wrongheadedness, hurting ourselves, others, and even all creation. Blind. Not depraved is our condition. Remember, God cannot become anything that is evil or inherently bad. And God became human. I am fundamentally good because I am created in Christ as an expression of God, an image bearer, imago Dei. See Ephesians 2 verse 10. Yeah, we just look at Ephesians 2 verses 1 through 3. 
And Ephesians 2 verse 10 is referring to Christians. Let me show you. So Ephesians chapter 2, we just read out how Paul is telling the Ephesians how what they were before they were in Christ. You were dead in trespasses and sins, and you were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Verse 4 now, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So God, this is talking to Christians now, has made us alive in Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It is not the result of work, so that no one may boast. For we... Christians are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we got major problems going on here, major problems. So quote number two, let me play it without commenting on it. And uh, this is William Paul Young giving us his own gospel. No joke. Here we go. So what is the good news? What is the gospel? The good news is not that Jesus has opened up the possibility of salvation and you have been invited to receive Jesus into your life. The gospel is that Jesus has already included you into his life, into his relationship with God the Father, and into his anointing in the Holy Spirit. The good news is that Jesus did this without your vote. And whether you believe it or not, won't make it any less or more true. What or who saves me? Either God did in Jesus, or I save myself. If in any way I participate in the completed act of salvation accomplished in Jesus, then my part is what actually saves me. Saving faith is not our faith, but the faith of Jesus. God does not wait for my choice and then save me. God has acted decisively and universally for all humankind. Now, our daily choice is to either grow and participate in that reality or continue to live in the blindness of our own independence. Are you suggesting that everyone is saved, that you believe in universal salvation? That is exactly what I am saying. This is really good news. It has been blowing people's minds for centuries now. So much so that we often overcomplicate it and get it wrong. Here's the truth. Every person who has ever been conceived was included in the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. When Jesus was lifted up, God dragged all human beings to himself. John 12, 32. Jesus is the Savior of all humankind, especially believers. 1 Timothy 4.10 Further, every single human being is in Christ, John 1.3, and Christ is in them and Christ is in the Father, John 14.20. When Christ, the Creator in whom the cosmos was created, died, we all died. When Christ rose, we rose. 2 Corinthians 5. Wow. 
yeah, I mean, jaw-droppingly bad. And uh, we're going to have to work our way through that. But again, note, in his own words, he straight up affirms universal salvation. Yeah, you can't say he's not a universalist. He, in his own words, says he is that. So let's talk about uh, this soundbite by working our way back through it so that we can figure out what's wrong. So let's start over again on this soundbite. Here we go. So what is the good news? What is the gospel? The good news is not that Jesus has opened up the possibility of salvation and you've been invited to receive Jesus into your life. Yeah, that, I, that's kind of a straw man because I agree that's not the gospel. Now, where would, where would we go if we wanted to uh, explain the gospel using Scripture so that we can have a definition to work from? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting at verse 1, actually gives us the definition of the gospel. No joke. And uh, Paul in Galatians chapter 1 says, Even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel other than the one you received, then let him be damned. I mean, so straight up, this is the kind of stuff false gospels damn people. So 1 Corinthians 15, 1 says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and to the Twelve. He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James and to all the apostles. Last of all, to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. So the gospel is Christ died for our sins and rose bodily from the grave on the third day. This is what Scripture defines the gospel as. So it's important to note, if you were to read the whole chapter where he discusses this, he is reacting against another false gospel. But the false gospel that he's reacting against has a lot more truth in it than this gospel that he's putting forward. So we continue. The gospel is that Jesus has already included you into his life. That's the gospel that Jesus has included me in his life. Which texts say that? I don't know of any. Into his relationship with God the Father and into his anointing in the Holy Spirit. The good news is that Jesus did this without your vote. That's the good news is that Jesus did it without my vote. Okay. And whether you believe it or not, won't make it any less or more true. What or who saves me? Either God did in Jesus, or I save myself. If in any way I participate in the completed act of salvation accomplished in Jesus, then my part is what actually saves me. Now, I would agree with that. That's called synergism. Scripture teaches monogism. But what he's doing here isn't faithfully explicating what Scripture reveals regarding divine monergism as it pertains to saving faith. Saving faith is not our faith, but the faith of Jesus. 
Well, actually, saving faith is that faith given to us. Let me come back to Ephesians chapter 2. That seems to be ground zero to help us out here. And Ephesians 2, I, I always consider that to be a ground zero passage when it comes to the Christian faith. Ephesians 2, 4 by grace, verse 8, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It's not a result of works so that no one may boast. So faith is not our own doing. It is truly a gift given by God. Now the question is, where does that faith come from? All right, well, Scripture also answers that question, and it does so in uh, Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, and here's what it says. Verse 11. For Scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Well, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So God gives saving faith to whomever he chooses through the word of Christ. That's what Scripture says. What William Paul Young is not interested in carefully understanding what the full counsel of the Word of God says. He's got his own theology that he's putting forward. God does not wait for my choice and then save me. God has acted decisively and universally for all humankind. Now, our daily choice is to either grow and participate in that reality or continue to live in the blindness of our own independence. Oh, so the blindness of our independence, that's our problem. It's not that we're dead in trespasses. It's the blindness of independence. Okay. Are you suggesting that everyone is saved, that you believe in universal salvation? That is exactly what I am saying. This is really good news. It has been blowing people's minds for centuries now. Now, this is where we need to make a careful distinction. And here's what I mean. He's going to go to, and we've heard him already do this, he's going to go to texts that talk about Christ's death on the cross as having a universal global application. It's for the sins of the whole world. I mean, after all, what does John the Baptist say of Jesus? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And we Lutherans agree that Christ has bled and died for all, for every human being, for the entire world. But that does not mean that all are saved. And this is where you have to make a biblical distinction. On the one hand, Scripture does not teach limited atonement. No, it doesn't. It actually teaches that Christ bled and died for all, including those who deny him. I would point you to Second Peter on this. And uh, this is the idea then. But just because Christ has bled and died for all does not mean that all are saved. 
So the distinction is between what we Lutherans call the doctrine of universal objective justification and subjective justification. Although it is true that all are bled and died for, not all are saved. Subjective justification, that means that those who have been bled and died for, you can say that they have now saving faith through the means of grace. And uh, so faith comes by hearing, hearing through the word of Christ. And you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. So the idea then is that those who are brought to penitent faith in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins through the means of grace are saved. That's what Scripture says. So the second part of it is subjective justification, where an individual is you know, through the means of grace, brought by God to penitent faith in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. And God is the one who gives them that gift. But again, William Paul Young is not interested in making careful biblical distinctions. He's got his own theology he's cooking here. So much so that we often overcomplicate it and get it wrong. Here's the truth. Every person who has ever been conceived was included in the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. When Jesus was lifted up, God dragged all human beings to himself. John 12, 32. Jesus is the Savior of all humankind, especially believers. Yeah, this is true. This, again, deals with universal objective justification. But just because you're bled and died for doesn't mean you're saved. 1 Timothy 4.10 Further, every single human being is in Christ, John 1, 3, and Christ is in them, and Christ is in the Father, John fourteen twenty. Yeah, now you're taking an out-of-context, off-topic verse and drawing it into your belief regarding universal salvation. When Christ, the Creator in whom the cosmos was created, died, we all died. When Christ rose, we rose. 2 Corinthians 5. I find it odd that you would uh, reference 2 Corinthians 5. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because here's what it says. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, verse 16. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is... In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the ministry of reconciliation. So you'll notice 2 Corinthians 5, 19 actually has both universal objective justification and the preaching of reconciliation with God. Um, as That's subjective justification, all in the same passage. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, making his appeal through us, so we implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For our sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Weird that he would reference this text, which, when you read it in its context, not only doesn't teach what he says it's teaching in this uh, context, um, it undermines his claims in the next soundbite that we'll listen to. But uh, I think you're getting the idea of what's going wrong here. I mean, there's so much going wrong. But the other thing is, is that Scripture is explicitly clear that not all are saved. 
I would point you to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25, we have that wonderful passage that tells us how things are going to go down at the end of the world. And here's what it says. Matthew 25, 31, Jesus speaking. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Christ himself says when he returns, he's going to separate people, sheep and goat. You are judged by what you are. Mm -hmm. Species first. So if you're a believer or an unbeliever, that's the, the dividing line because salvation is by grace through faith alone. Unbelievers are the goats. Believers are the sheep, right? He'll place the sheep on his right, the goats on his left. The king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when do we see you hungry or feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when do we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when do we see you sick and in prison and visit you? Important words from Jesus. The king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, who are Jesus' brothers? The ones who believe in him. You did it to me. Uh huh. So then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. I was hungry, you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, you did not welcome me. Naked, you did not clothe me. Sick, and you did, and in prison, you did not visit me. And then they will answer, Lord, when do we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? And then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to the least of these, least of who? The least of his brothers. You did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Hmm. Yeah, by the way, William Paul Young is not a fan of uh, the doctrine of hell either. That comes out very clear in his book, but we won't get to that today. So we got a problem here. He says he's a firm believer in universal salvation. It's one thing to say that Christ bled and died for the sins of the world. It's a whole other thing to say, everybody's saved. Scripture doesn't teach that everybody's saved. Scripture does teach that Christ died for the sins of the world. He's not making careful theological distinctions because he has his own theology. Last on our sampling from William Paul Young's theology is his disparaging uh, characterization of Christ's vicarious penal substitutionary death on the cross as child sacrifice. Here we go. Chapter 19. God requires child sacrifice. One of the narratives about God is that because of sin, God required child sacrifice to appease a sense of righteous indignation and the fury of holiness, Jesus being the ultimate child sacrifice. But we know intuitively that such a thought is wrong, desperately wrong. It is the undeniably overt declaration of Hebrew scriptures 
that God hates child sacrifice and is opposed to it in any form. But one of the stories that seem to justify it is that of Abraham and the almost sacrifice of his son Isaac. The larger context is a series of missteps on the part of Abraham, in which he tries to help God out of one predicament after another, and each time he helps, disaster results, and with each misfortune, God submits to Abraham's choices and creatively works to build something good out of the rubble. Abraham has already put Ishmael out of the home, which greatly grieved both God and Abraham. And then God asks Abraham to put out Isaac as well, permanently. Abraham is broken. No more arguing as he did regarding his nephew Lot, no more lying as with King Abimelech, no more coming up with his own provision as an answer to the impossible. It seemed that this God might not be any different than all the others after all. The only religion that Abraham had known in Ur was appeasement. In fact, every god on the planet at that time required sacrifice in order to either pay for poor performance or to move the hand of a deity to act on one's behalf. Read again the story of Abraham and Isaac. This is not a story about God requiring child sacrifice, but rather the opposite. The point of the story is that God will step into our darkness and speak our language in order to reveal something we didn't know, that this God does not require child sacrifice. Abraham named the place, The Lord Will Provide. And to this day it is said, On the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Genesis 22.14 So, if we, the human race, require a sacrifice, God will provide himself. All right, so so the lie is God requires child sacrifice, and he ties that to Jesus' death on the cross, which, by the way, is a straw man. Jesus, number one, wasn't a child uh, when he was crucified. Number two, he laid down his life willingly, and Philippians chapter 2 itself explains to us what was going on. Here's what it says, verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Notice, Jesus is God. Uh-huh. He emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, this is very important. Jesus' death on the cross is not child sacrifice. That is a total mischaracterization and false claim regarding what Scripture does reveal. Now, notice he said that we all intuitively know that this is wrong, wrong, wrong. Child sacrifice, bad. But, yeah, what Jesus was doing on the cross is not child sacrifice. Number two, he didn't go to a clear passage that explains to us the theology of what Christ was doing on the cross. Now, he he already referenced, but did not read out, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Let me reread again the last part of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, um, starting verse 20. 
We are ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal through us. So we implore you on behalf of Christ, listen to these words, be reconciled to God. For our sake, God made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Yeah, God made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, so that we might be the righteousness of God. If you want to understand this further, you would look at Isaiah chapter 53. But again, notice the the imperative, be reconciled to God. Reconciliation assumes, the need for reconciliation assumes that a relationship has been broken and needs to be restored, that there needs to be reconciliation. And it's Christ's death that reconciles us to God. And Isaiah 53, verse 4 explains to us what Jesus was up to. Surely he has borne our griefs, he's carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Scripture's very clear that our reconciliation with God has been wrought by Christ, whom God made to be sin, and on whom God laid all of our iniquity, all of our sin. So we've got a real problem here. Now, with today's episode of Fighting for the Faith, I'm going to put a link up in the additional resources. It's on a paper that I wrote against Tony Jones of the Emergent Church Movement, who, like William Paul Young, hates, and I mean abhors, the doctrine of penal substitutionary atonement. He even goes so far as to claim that that no Christian even believed in it until a thousand years after Jesus' death and resurrection. (laughs) I will demonstrate in this paper, and the link will be up with today's episode, I will demonstrate that that is patently false, that the scriptures explicitly teach that Christ died for our sins, was punished in our place. You see, the wages of sin is death, and the question is, who's going to die? You? Well, you deserve that. But who dies in our place? Christ. That's the point. So I think you get the gist of what's going on here. And those are literally, I mean, just three jaw-droppingly bad examples of the theology of William Paul Young from his new book, just published two days ago, on the lies we believe about God. And you see, the one who is lying is William Paul Young, not God. His theology is not what the scriptures say or reveal. His theology is his own, and it has nothing whatsoever to do with what scriptures say or teach. All right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we're heading to Korea 
as we listen to Shay on wax eloquent about the new apostolic reformation he even talks about it in those terms stay tuned we'll be right back we don't need to rethink christianity we need to rediscover it you're listening to fighting for the faith pirate christian radio theater presents death of a salesman are ye a salesman why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. Oi, Captain! We got ourselves a heretic! (laughs) And exactly how do ye know that she be a heretic? She be endorsing the health and wealth heresy. Does he be speaking the truth? Jesus died to make us rich. And what exactly do we do with heretics? Oh, we throw them in the boo box. No, no, no. We preach the gospel to them. What if, um, the heretic doesn't repent? Then we throw them in the boo box. is to heretic, to R is to pirate. Get yourself over to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash Reformanda and purchase yourself a copy of the game Reformanda and join the fight for the faith today.
two of Fighting for the Faith sermon review. This is important as far as letting the NAR talk about the NAR on the NAR's own terms. That's the best way I can describe it. Let's do this right, though. The good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via an organization called M Korea. H-I-M Korea. I do not know the name of the message because I don't read Korean. It's from Shay On, and it's a long one just because there's a translator. But you need to hear it because it's Shay On talking about the NAR openly. This takes away Michael Brown's ability to talk about the so-called New Apostolic Reformation because Shay On, he's he's embracing the term, man. Totally like hanging it out there. There's apostles, there's prophets, there's yeah, it's the New Apostolic Reformation, and he explains it. So. I'll call this sermon uh, the New Apostolic Reformation as preached by those in the New Apostolic Reformation. I, I don't know how else to call it. All right. So let me back off on the music. And without any further ado, here's Shayon to tell us about the NAR. Yeah, he's thanking them for the message by Bill Johnson that was delivered just before Shayon. That's right. Bill Johnson's right there in the audience. I can see him sitting right there. So, I mean, Bill Johnson can't even feign ignorance when it comes to the NAR here because he's sitting right there. I feel in my spirit something shifted. For your country and for your future leader, future president. Wow, something shifted in Korea because uh, Shayon felt it in his spirit. Wow, okay. And uh, just continue to pray and persevere in prayer. 그래서 한국인 여러분들이 계속해서 기도하시고 기도로 인내의 시간을 돌파하시기를 축원합니다. Felt was so providential that. Uh, Pastor Hedja Kim would be here to hear Bill speak and for her to lead in prayer. 그 또한 빌 존슨 목사님의 메시지 이후에 김혜자 목사님께서 올라와 주셔서 기도 인도를 해주신 것이 저에게는 뜻깊은 시간이었습니다. And, uh, I know no one that carries that spirit of intercession, prophetic intercession, like she does. 이 나라를 위하여 또 열방을 위하여 그렇게 예언적인 중보의 영을 김혜자 목사님 같이 운반하시는 분이 또한 안 계십니다. This afternoon, I want to talk about apostles and reformation of society. 오늘 오후의 메시지 주제는 사회 변혁과 사도들이라는 제목입니다. And I want to submit to you that apostles, both in the marketplace and in the church, they are the key to bring about reformation and revival. 제가 믿는 것은 so apostles are the key to bringing about reformation. So there's Shayon, an apostle, talking about the importance of apostles. 
교회 안에 또 일터 안에 사도적 리더들이 이 도시의 또 사회에 변혁과 부흥을 가져오는데 열쇠, 키가 되는 역할들을 한다고 믿습니다. Dr. Peter Wagner, he coined the phrase New Apostolic Reformation. Yes, he did. I, that's why I find it odd that you know guys like Michael Brown and well, you know Bill Johnson talk about the so-called New Apostolic Reformation. So glad you reminded them. It was their mentor who uh, coined the phrase. How many of you heard that phrase before? New Apostolic Reformation. Who has not heard that? Raise your hand. Even though you've heard it, I think I need to define it because uh, you know a lot of people didn't understand why Peter named. This movement as a new so he's going to define it for us. The you know this weird you know the, so he's he can't deny it anymore. Apostolic Reformation movement. 근데 그 단어를 많이 들어봤다 하시는 분들도 이 운동에 대한 정확한 이해가 아직 온전히 퍼지지 않았기 때문에 정말로 피터 신사도라는 단어를 왜 썼는가를 여러분들에게 먼저 정의 드리기 원합니다. First of all, it's new because 31 denominations in America use the adjective apostolic. 신이란 뉴라는 단어는 왜 붙었는가? 왜냐하면 미국에서는 31개에 넘는 교단들이 이미 사도라는 단어를 쓰고 있습니다. So for example, if you come to my city of Pasadena, 예를 들어서 제가 목회하고 있는 도시인 파세디나에 여러분들이 방문한다면, right on the main road, Colorado Boulevard, we have what's called the Apostolic Armenian Church of Pasadena. 콜로라도 아주 메인 거리인데 그 거리에만 보더라도 사도족 알마니안 교회라는 교회가 지금 있어요. 오래됐어요. So apostolic used by many denominations, many churches. 그래서 사도적 사도라는 단어는 이미 과거에 수많은 교회들과 교단들이 사용해 오는 단어였습니다. So he's not to them. 그래서 닥터 와그너 박사님은 이미 그런 일들이 있었기 때문에 앞에 신자 뉴를 붙여서 새로운 운동이라고 명명하신 겁니다. The word apostles, because these churches believe that apostles are for today. 그리고 이 사도라는 단어는 왜 쓰였는가? 이미 과거에서부터 이런 사도적 운동. So he's defining it for us. So they believe that apostles are for today. Shayon said it himself. Sounds like he believes it himself. 많은 교회와 마찬가지로 오늘날에도 사도적 리더들을 주님이 사용하시고 세우신다는 걸 믿는 교단들입니다. 그래서 사도라는 호칭을 명명하느냐, 명명하지 않느냐는 문제가 아닌 거예요. 오늘날에 사도적 리더들을 주님께서 세우신다는 걸 믿는 겁니다. He or she is an Ephesians 4:11 apostle leading that church or that movement. 에베소서 4장 11절의 메시지와 같이 교회를 이끄는 오중직임의 리더 가운데에 사도로서 하나님께서 부르신 자들이 오늘날에도 존재하는 겁니다. It's more of a function than a title. 그래서 이거는 뭐 호칭을 붙인다, 명칭을 붙인다가. All right, so it's a function. It doesn't matter what you call them. It's the function. 아니라 그 기능이 오늘날에도 살아있다는 것입니다. So Reformation. 그럼 개혁. Reformation, as you know, took place, and this is the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. 우리가 처음에 어젯밤에 나눴듯이 올해가 바로 종교 개혁 500주년이 되는 해지야. On October 31st, 1517. 1517년 Martin Luther nailed the 95 theses on Wittenberg door. Martin Luther가 95개의 그그 선언문을 문에다가 못 박습니다. And by the way, you know, 95 theses sounds like a lot, but basically there are 95 sentences he wrote. 
95개 선언문 이런가 뭔가 엄청 길것 같은데 한 문장 한 문장 95개 문장이 적혀 있는 종이였어요. And the bottom line, what he was saying is, is that you can't go to heaven by paying indulgences to the Catholic Church. It's only by grace through faith that we are saved, forgiven, and that's the way we enter heaven. 그 선언문의 핵심이 무엇이었냐? 가톨릭 교회에서 말하고 있는 것처럼 한 인간이 면죄부를 돈 주고 삼으로써 천국을 갈수 있는 것이 아니라 하나님의 은혜 안에서의 믿음을 가진 자들만이 천국에 간다라는 선언이었어요. If you ever been to Italy, and I want to encourage you to go there because uh, Rome is very, very important. 이탈리아를 한 번도 가보지 못한 분들은 어, 가시기를 제가 추천드리는데 왜냐하면 로마라는 도시는 우리에게 매우 중요한 도시입니다. Both Apostle Peter and Apostle Paul were martyred in Rome. 베드로 사도도 사도 바울도 역사학적으로 볼 때에 로마에서 어, 순교당합니다. But one of the things you'll notice is this incredible cathedral called St. Peter's Basilica. 베드로 성당이라고 하는 아주 아름다운 커다란 성당이 그 로마에 자리 잡고 있어요. Guess how that was built? 그게 어떻게 지어졌을까요? The Pope at that time of Martin Luther's period was selling indulgences. In other words, if you give money for their building fund, you will have reduced time in a place called purgatory. 그 성당이 어떻게 지었냐면 마틴 루터가 사역할 당시의 주교가 너희들이 이 건축 헌금을 내면 면제부를 사면 연옥에서 보내는 시간이 더 줄어든다라는 설교를 함으로써 사람들에게 돈을 걷어서 지은 성당이 그 성당이에요. 당연히 그것은 이단적인 메시지였죠. Okay, so Sheon understands that that was heresy. Weird that he doesn't recognize that what he believes and teaches is the same. 가능을 돈으로 살수 있는 게 아닙니다. Just because you give money to the church, you could be a sinner. Just because you give money to the church doesn't mean that you're going to be saved. 내가 교회에 헌금한다고 해서 내 죄악이 사해지는 것이 아닙니다. So that began what's called the Protestant Reformation. 그런 이해 때문에 우리가 소위 알고 있는 개신교, 종교 개혁 운동이 그때 일어난 것입니다. And three great truths Martin Luther established. 마틴 루터는 그래서 자신의 개혁 운동을 통해서 세 가지 중요한 진리를 교회 가운데 세웁니다. Number one, authority of scripture. 첫 번째는 말씀의 권위입니다. And he said the Pope doesn't have ultimate authority. The Bible is our authority. Yeah, it's weird coming from a guy who claims to receive direct revelation from God. He doesn't believe in sola scriptura. Why are you talking about Martin Luther and the Reformation? Luther was a sola scriptura guy. 주교가 우리의 끝, 어, 가장 권위자가 아니라 하나님 말씀이 우리의 인생의 가장 궁극적인 권위다라고 말했어요. But the problem was is that the Bible was written in Latin. 근데 문제는 이거였어요. 그때 당시 성경은 라틴어로 기록되어 있었습니다. And Martin Luther was German, and the people that he was speaking to were German. They couldn't read the Bible. 마틴 루터는 독일인이었고 자신이 설교하는 사람들도 독일인 대상이었고 그래서 그들은 성경을 읽을 수가 없었어요. Because at that time, number one, only priests were allowed to read the Bible. 왜냐하면 그 시대에는 성직자들만이 성경을 읽을 수 있는 허락을 받았습니다. But number two, they were illiterate. They weren't educated. The vast majority of the people were uneducated, so they couldn't read even if they wanted to. 그리고 두 번째 이유는 그때 당시의 사람은 문맹률이 너무 높아서 자신의 언어로 된 성경이 있다 하더라도 읽을 수 있는 사람이 몇명안 됐습니다. So one of the greatest things that Martin Luther did that brought Reformation was that he translated. The Latin Bible into common German. 그래서 마틴 루터가 한것 중에 가장 위대한 일 중에 하나가. Yeah, actually, Luther was working from the Greek and Hebrew manuscripts. 
독기너로 기록되어 있던 성경을 일반인들이 사용하는 독일어로 번역을 한 작업입니다. And all the people, even though they didn't know how to read, they wanted to learn how to read. 그래서 문맹률이 높아서 글을 못 읽는 사람들도 성경을 읽을 수 있다라니까 글자를 배우기로 원했어요. And overnight, the literacy rate in Germany just skyrocketed. 그래서 그 개혁 이후에 하룻밤만에 문맹률이 계속해서 감퇴하고 사람들이 글자를 배우기시작합니다. 왜냐하면 모든 사람들이 이제는 성경을 읽고 싶었던 거예요. 그래서 자, 자기 스스로 언어 공부하고 언어 공부 배우러 가고 그래서 그 당시에 실제적으로 독일은 문맹률이 가장 낮은 나라로서 다시 태어나게 됩니다. And with that came prosperity. 그리고 문맹률이 낮아지니까 그 나라의 형통함이 찾아왔죠. And to this day, Germany is one of the wealthiest nations in the world. 오늘날까지도 전 세계에서 가장 부유한 나라 중에 하나가 독일입니다. The second truth that he preached that was revolutionary is that we're justified by faith. 루터가 두 번째 주장한 아주 혁명적인 또 진리는 무엇이냐? 우리는 믿음으로 구원받는다는 거예요. You know, we take it for granted, of course, you know, through faith. By the grace of God, not through works that we enter heaven. 우리는 뭐 어고 당연한 거 아니야? 당연히 우리가 일해서 얻는 것도 아니고 은혜로 믿음 안에서 구원받는 거지 우리에겐 당연한 소리 같아요. But back then, everyone joined the monastery because they felt by being really chaste and suffering in the monastic life, that's the way they're going to earn their way to heaven. 근데 그때 당시는 이런 진리를 몰랐기 때문에 사람들이 수도원에 왜 들어갔느냐? 나 스스로에게 고난을 줘야 되고 나 스스로 고통을 받아야 내가 더 거룩하고 구원받을 수 있어라고 여겼기 때문입니다. And thank God for the grace of God. Amen. 하나님의 은혜로 인하여 주를 찬양합니다. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. 하나님이 위대한 사랑으로 자비하심으로 우리를 사랑하심을 찬양합니다. Even when we're dead to our trespasses and in our sins, 우리가 이미 아직 죄인 되었을 때 그렇게 우리를 사랑하셨어요. He made us alive together with him. 우리가 주님과 함께 한 생명을 살아갈 수 있게 하셨어요. By grace we have been saved through faith. 은혜로 믿음으로 우리는 구원받는 것입니다. Not that of ourselves is a gift of God. 이것 이 믿음조차도 우리가 만들어내는 것이 아니라 하나님의 선물이에요. Not as a result of works that anyone can boast about. 우리가 뭔가 섬겨. Yeah, that's Ephesians too. Yeah. 하는 것이 아니기 때문에 자랑할 수도 없습니다. So Ephesians 2, 4 through 8 is very, very important. 그래서 에베소서 2장의 메시지는 너무나 중요한 것입니다. The third truth that he shared that was revolutionary is the priesthood of all believers. 또 루터가 나눈 가장 혁명적인 진리 중에 마지막 세 번째는 모든 성도가 제사장된 사람들이라는 what is, what 것입니다. 그래서 무슨 의미입니까? That we're all priests. We don't need a priest to pray on our behalf. We can go directly to the Father. 우리가 하나님 앞에 제사장이기 때문에 우리를 위해서 대신 기도해 주는 제사장이 있어야 되는 것이 아니라 우리 스스로 하나님께 나아갈 수 있다는 것입니다. You don't have to go to mass and go to the confession booth and confessor said you could do it anywhere. 성당을 가야 되는 거고 교회를 가야 되는 거고 누군가에게 나에게 기도를 해 달라고 요청해야 되는 것이 아니라 누구나 하나님 앞에 나아갈 수 있다는 것입니다. That all of you are priests. 여러분 모두가 제사장 된 자들임을 선포합니다. What is a priest? 근데 제사장이 뭡니까? A priest means a minister. 제사장이란 건 사역자라는 거예요. All of you are ministers. 여러분 모두가 사역자의 심을 믿습니까? That's why it says in 1 Peter 2:9 you are a royal priesthood. 베드로전서 2장 9절에 우리 yeah, define the word minister there. Not everybody is a pastor. 우리는 왕과 같은 제사장이라고 합니다. You're kings. 여러분들은 왕이시고 and you're all priests. 모두 다 제사장이십니다. So how many ministers do we have here? 자, 그럼 이 방에 나는 사역자다 하시는 분손 들어봐 주세요. You know this is so good. 
Oh, 좋습니다. Because when I first came and started to teach this, no one would raise their hand because only the 목사님 were ministers and only they could raise their hand. 왜냐면 제가 16년 전에 한국에 와서 처음 이 가르침 티칭을 전달했을 때는 이렇게 다 하고 누가 사역자입니까라고 하면은 목사님들만 손 들었었어요. So majority of you just raised your hand. That's amazing. 이방 안에는 대부분이 다 손을 들으셨어요. 너무나도 좋습니다. In fact, tell the person next to you you're one good looking minister. 자, 옆에 있는 사람에게 선포했습니다. 당신은 Yeah, he's uh, basically conflating two terms. 생기고 아름다운 사역자이십니다. 선포해 주세요. So the priesthood of believers uh, was revolutionary, but he didn't take it a further the way the Holy Spirit has been leading us, that we're all ministers, we could all move in signs and wonders and preach the gospel of the kingdom. Yeah, told you. Yeah, so since, since we're all ministers, now the Holy Spirit's leading us that everybody can uh, perform signs and wonders. 루터가 그 혁명적인 모든 사 만인 제사장설이란 걸 가져온 건 너무 좋았는데 성령님이 의도한 데까지 가지 않았어요. 그것은 무엇이냐? 우리 모두과 기적과 표적과 이사를 동반하는 하나님의 사역자들이라는 것입니다. So in our church we teach everyone's a minister. 그래서 제가 목회하는 교회에서는 성도분들에게 여러분 모두가 제사장입니다 가르치고. Everyone's a revivalist. 모든 자가 부흥가입니다라고 전달하고. Everyone's a revivalist. What? But Peter Wagner's phrase, "New Apostolic Reformation." Why he used the word Reformation? 근데 피터 와그너 박사님이 신사도 개혁 운동이라고 붙였는데 왜 그러면 뒤에 개혁을 붙였느냐? He believes that apostles are the key to bring about reformation in the new 21st century, as God brought reformation five years, 500 years ago. 와그너 박사님이 믿었던 것은 500년 전에 하나님이 사도들을 통하여서 이땅 가운데 어마어마한 부흥을 개혁을 가져왔던 것처럼 이 21세기에 다시 한번 사도적 리더들을 통하여 사회의 변혁을 가져오기 원하셨다고 믿었기 때문입니다. So apostles are the key to bring about reformation society. 그래서 사회의 변혁 개혁을. So apostles are the key to bring about reformation in society. And revival too, yeah. So, remember Todd Bentley and uh, Shayon talking in the first hour. Yeah, Todd Bentley's revival started without any help from any apostles. That's why C. Peter Wagner had to go back and backfill the apostolic commissioning and stuff. Uh huh. Yeah. 가져오는 가장 키된 열쇠는 바로 사도들입니다. So I want you to turn with me to a well-known passage, Ephesians 4:11, and then we're going to go to Luke chapter 6. 에베소서 4장 11장을 펴보시겠습니다. Ephesians 4:11, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. 그가 어떤 사람은 사도로, 어떤 사람은 선지자로, 어떤 사람은 복음 전하는 자로, 어떤 사람. Now note, it's out of context. Ephesians 4, verse 10. He who descended is also he who ascended far above the heavens, so that he may fill all things. And he gave apostles, the prophets. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. Now, the question uh, 
comes up, then, well, do we not have apostles today? The answer is, of course, we have apostles today. Our apostles are, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you know, Bartholomew, John, those guys. Uh huh. You're thinking, well, wait a second, that doesn't sound right. Well, of course, but they still are speaking. And the uh, the other text in Ephesians is the thing that helps us out. It's Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. Ephesians 2, verse 20. Let me put some context on it. Verse 18, for, though, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Mm -hmm. So Christ is the cornerstone, the church, the household of God is built on the foundation of the apostles. Once a foundation is laid, do you continue to build a foundation or do you build on that foundation? Answer, you build on it. So, Yes, Christ has given us, God's given us the apostles, the prophets, and the church, its foundation is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and Christ himself is the cornerstone, straight up. So the apostles that we have today are Peter and James and John and mm -hmm, Paul, right, yeah, those are our apostles. They are the foundation of the church. So when we confess in like one of the creeds, we believe in one holy Catholic, that means universal, and apostolic church, we believe that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles, prophets, and Christ is the cornerstone. And by apostolic, we mean that we preach the apostolic doctrine. The disciples, the apostles, are still discipling the nations. It is their written word that, that is living and active, which is, you know, united with the work of the Holy Spirit. It's theonoustos, it's God-breathed, that continues to speak to us today and still continues to work. We don't need another foundation. It's just simply referencing Ephesians 4 and saying, see, he's given us apostles. The church has recognized that the apostles, you know, they didn't reproduce themselves. There is no place that you can go to to find in Scripture the qualifications of an apostle today. So when you anoint an apostle, the apostle must be this, that, or the other thing. Nope. No. The apostles were one of a kind. They are the foundation of the church. We do not have apostles living today, but the apostles still do their work today through the written word of God. So you see the idea? We've got a problem here we got a big problem, but I'm very thankful that Shayan is teaching us about the NAR, you know, using his own words and embracing it and, well, and explaining to us the definitions and how they work. Now they can no longer talk about the so-called NAR. And by the way, that word equipping, very important word. 이 12절에 있는 온전하게 하여라는 단어는 매우 중요한 단어입니다. The Greek is katatismos. 헬라 언어로는 katitismos라는 단어인데 and it literally means alignment. 
이거는 문자 그들의 의미는 alignment 맞춘다. 맞아 정렬이란 뜻입니다. It's a medical term. So if a bone is broken in your arm, they align it, or in your leg, they align it for it to heal. 이게 의학 용어인데 이게 무슨 말이냐? 부러진 뼈가 있을 때그 뼈가 다시 붙고 치유될 수 있도록 뼈를 맞추다, 정렬시키다라는 의학 용어입니다. So God's given us apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to align the saints. For the work of ministry. 하나님께 사도로, 선지자로, 복음 전하는 자로, 목사와 교사로 누군가를 삼으신 이유는 딱 하나. 우리가 사역을 봉사의 일을 하는 자들이 될수 있도록 정렬시키기 위함인 겁니다. And again, it's for ministry. You're to do the ministry. 자, 다시 한번 사역하는 사람이 누굽니까? 여러분들입니다. One of the things I loved about Peter Wagner and even my other mentor John Wimber because they really believed in equipping the saints for the work of ministry. 제가 저의 멘토인 피터 하나 박사님과 존인범 목사님을 너무나도 사랑했던 이유는 그분들은 모든 성도들, 모든 믿는 자들을 사역하는 자로서 세우는 것에 열정이 있으셨기 때문입니다. In America only 1% of the church is in vocational full-time ministry like myself or Pastor Bill. Or you know any other Americans who are here. 미국의 교회 통계학으로 보면 미국에 있는 성도들의 단 1%만이 저와 같이 풀타임 사역자입니다. 저나 빌존스 목사님이나 이렇게 교회 안에서 풀타임 사역하는 자들. It is ridiculous to think that the 1% of the church is going to bring about revival and reformation. 교회의 1%밖에 안 되는 목사님들이 사역자들이 사회의 변. Yeah, um, I don't mean to rain on his parade, but. <laughs> which means I'm raining on his parade. Yeah, equipping for what ministry? You know, so pastors are designed to equip the saints to do ministry. What ministry? Reformation? Um, yeah. Um, listen, you know, clearly fighting for the truth... Within the uh, church, contending for the faith once for all delivered to the saints is part of the task, but that falls under the bigger umbrella of making disciples of all nations, baptizing, teaching all that Christ has commanded. And then the other way to think about it is that, you know, because of vocation, we do our good works in our different and various vocations. Well, the job of a pastor is to uh, equip the saints to be able to do their vocation ministry. Yeah, to serve their neighbor and do their good works as a husband, as a wife, as a father, as a mother, as a... St- yeah, so we got a problem here. Again, you know, this you know, just just fraught with all kinds of theological problems, this particular speech is. Yeah, that's Yoda's way of speaking, I think. 부흥을 다 감당한다. 나는 생각 자체가 말이 안 되는 생각입니다. No, our job is to equip you for you to be the revivalist, for you to be the reformer. 우리의 역할은 뭐냐? 바로 이 말씀에서 말하는 것처럼 여러분들이 부흥가가 되고 여러분들이 개혁가가 될수 있도록 여러분들을 세우는 것입니다. And then the Bible says, till we all come to unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. 13절, 우리가 다 하나님의 아들을 믿는 것과 아는 일에 하나가 되어 온전한 사람을 이루어 그리스도의 장성한 분량이 충만한 데까지 이르리니. Question I want to ask, do you feel that we have come to the unity of faith? 자, 질문이 이것입니다. 우리가 다 하나가 되어까지 온것 같습니까? Have we come to the knowledge of the Son of God? 아니면 그리스도의 그리스도를 아는 일에 우리가 하나가 된것 같습니까? Are we a perfect man? 
아니면 우리가 온전한 사람까지 간것 같습니까? Have we come to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ? 아니면 우리가 uh-huh. Wow, this sounds a lot like, you know, that bride of Christ theology. We got to make the bride perfect before Jesus returns. 그리스도의 장성한 분량이 충만한 데까지 이른 것 같으시나요? And the answer is no. 다, 대답은 아니지요. We're not there yet. 우리는 아직 거기에 도달하지 못했습니다. We are in process being sanctified and maturing as the body of Christ. 우리가 그리스도의 몸으로서 더 깨끗해지고 더 어, 장성한 분량까지 나아가는 과정 가운데 있죠. We're seeing more unity than ever before. 예, 물론 교회의 과거사보다 더 연합한 모습이 우리 가운데 보이기도 합니다. There's a long way to go. 근데 여전히 연합 가운데 우리는 해야 할 일이 많아요. And the point I want to make is that until then we're still going to need apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers. 근데 저의 핵심 Yeah, no. Uh, the church has gone 2000 years, almost 2000 years without any apostles. Yeah. How do you explain that? 이겁니다. 우리가 여기까지 도달할 때까지는 여전히 오중직이면 사도, 선지자, 교사, 복음전도사, 목사가 필요하다는 것입니다. That's why it's so sad for me when people who say we believe in the whole Bible. 그래서 저는 너무 슬퍼요. 어떤 사람들이 저희 가서 저는 성경 다 믿습니다라고 하는데. But then they say and teach, oh, apostles and prophets are not for today. 근데 그러한 사람들이 동시에, 어, 근데 오늘. Yeah, but Ephesians 2 says that apostles and prophets are part of the foundation of the church. Yeah, why would we need more foundation? 사도와 선지자는 없어요라고 지칭합니다. Where in the Bible does it say apostles are not for today? 성경 어디에 오늘에는 사도. Well, you know, I would just, you know, call me silly, but you know, for instance, the opening part of the epistle to the Hebrews. Yeah, Hebrews chapter 1. Long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days he's spoken to us by his son whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom also he created the world. And again, apostles and prophets are part of the foundation of the church. Uh-huh, and we've been without them for 2000 years. Yeah, and we seem to have done just fine without them for 2000 years. 선지자 끊어졌다라는 가르침이 있습니까? They believe in pastors? 그들은 목사는 믿어요. They believe in evangelists like Billy Graham. 빌리 그레아 목사님 같이 복음 전도자도 여전히 있다고 믿어요. Of course, they believe in teachers, professors at universities and uh, Christian uh, universities and seminaries. 그리고 신학교에 있는 교수님들과 같이 여전히 티칭의 역할을 하는 교사분들도 있다고 말해요. They basically believe only 60% of the Ephesians 4:11 fivefold ministry. 그 말인즉슨 그들 Yeah, again, Paul isn't revealing a fivefold ministry with the ongoing apostles and prophets. He remember in chapter 2 said foundation. Yeah. 에서서 4장 11절에 오중 직임 중에 Yeah, note also we have pastoral epistles. We have no uh, apostle epistles. You know, an apo- yeah, I've already made that point. 10%만 믿고 있다는 것입니다. But let me throw a stat out to you. 근데 제가 여러분들에게 통계학 숫자를 던져 보겠습니다. The word apostle or apostles plural appears 79 times in the New Testament. 사도 아니면 복수형의 사도 Yeah, that doesn't quite uh, translate into a modern day thing. The reason being the apostles they died. And they're by the way, you know, when you read the book of Revelation, it's the weirdest thing cuz 
you know, there's gates in the uh, New Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Twelve gates named after the apostles. Yeah, so it seems to be a closed group. And plus, when you consider, uh, you know, what are the qualifications to actually be an apostle? And by the way, uh, we're gonna we're using apostle in a very narrow sense here. And uh, what I mean by that, apostle is uh, well, it's a common term in the uh, in the ancient world an apostle is an envoy somebody who speaks on behalf of another so if you say hey i'm an apostle the immediate question that's going to come up is who sent you right and so you know for instance the apostle barnabas he's not an apostle of jesus christ he wasn't sent directly by jesus whereas the apostle paul read his epistles he says paul an apostle sent by christ not by man right he's sent by christ Okay, so the in order to be a, a, a an apostle, here are the qualifications. Because remember that uh, Judas hung himself, so he left that office open. Yeah, let's take a look at uh, what Scripture says in Acts one fifteen. In those days, the apostle Peter stood up among the brothers, and the company of persons was in all about one hundred and twenty. And he said, "Brothers." The scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus, for he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and his bowels gushed out, and became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so the field was called in their own language, Akadalma, that is the field of blood, for it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it and let another take his office. So one of the men who had a, who have accompanied us during all of the time that Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness of the resurrection. So they put forward two. Joseph called Barsabbas, who was called Justice, and Matthias, and they prayed and said, You, Lord, know the hearts of all. Show which one of these you, you yeah, they, which one of these two that you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go into his own place. So they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Right. Yeah, he was numbered with the 11. Now, the uh, the Apostle Paul is one abnormally born, and yet he is an apostle of Jesus Christ. Whereas Barnabas is like an apostle of the church, but he's not an apostle of Jesus Christ. He wasn't sent specifically by Christ. So again, an envoy or an emissary, you know, hey, I'm an envoy. Well, who sent you? I'm an envoy for such and such a person. The apostles, the, the 12, if you would, plus... Well, Paul, again, he's one abnormally born, and he rightfully acknowledges that, yet he was sent by Christ. Yeah, this, these these apostles, this is part of the foundation of the church. You can't relay the foundation. So uh, what uh, <clears throat> Shayon is doing here is quite deceptive, quite wrong, very, very, very dangerous stuff. 이라는 단어는 신약 성경의 79번 등장합니다. Testament. 직임 명칭으로서 목사라는 단어는 성경에 몇번 나올까요? 한번 맞춰 보세요. 
Raise your fingers. How many? 손가락으로 times, 들어보세요. Five times. That's right. Only one time. 한번 나옵니다. In a few. Yeah, except for you kind of forget the fact that we actually have pastoral epistles that explain to us what the qualifications are of the office of pastor. Yeah, seem to omit that. Or eleven. Now, there are synonyms for pastors. Like elders, Overseers, episcopos. 아니면 감독자라는 피스피카파라는 단어. Appointment, shepherd. 아니면 목자라는 단어. But even if you add those three words together, you only have 67. 근데 그 모든 동의어를 합치더라도 67번 등장합니다 신약성경. The point I want to make is the New Testament is about apostles. 제가 여러분들. No, it's about the the apostles and their message. And who did the apostles then appoint to carry on the work of the of preaching the apostolic message? Yeah, that would be pastors. This is really slick, very dangerous. It's the acts of the apostles. 사도 행전, 사도들이 한 행전들이 And 기록한 책이라는 거예요. And it wasn't just twelve apostles. 이것은 열두 명의 사도만을 말하는 게 아닙니다. Paul was not originally part of the twelve. 사도 바울도 열두 사도 중에 한 명이 아니었어요. You have James, the brother of Jesus, who became the apostle in Jerusalem. 야고보도 이후에 예루살렘에서 사도로서 섬기게 됩니다. In fact, Paul says, when I went to Jerusalem, I saw no other apostles but James and Peter. He refers to James as an apostle. 사도 바울도 고백하기를 내가 예루살렘의 사도들을 만나러 갔을 때그 누구도 없고 야고보와 베드로밖에 없더라. 그 말인즉슨 야고보를 사도라고 명칭하고 있다는 겁니다. And last night in Revelation 2:4, I shared how there were so many apostles in Ephesus that they had to discern between false apostles. And true apostles. Again, he's not making the correct distinction between the apostles sent by Christ. Uh-huh, they were numbered among the twelve. And the apostles sent by the church. Apostle is a very common term in the ancient world. He's not making the right distinctions. 에는 사도들이 너무 많아서 사람들이 진짜 사도는 누구고 가짜 사도는 누군지 분별했어야 될 정도라고 말해요. And to be honest with you, some of the structure of the church today is not really biblical. 그래서 솔직히 말씀드리면 이 땅의 많은 교회들의 교회의 구조가 성경적이지 않다는 것입니다. Like the title pope or cardinal, that's man-made. There's no biblical word for that in And there's no biblical warrant to say that there are ongoing apostles today. I just find it utterly fascinating that this man, who's defending and promoting C. Peter Wagner's totally man-made but claims to be inspired by the Spirit, uh, ecclesiology, which is utterly foreign to the Scriptures, that he's the one who rightly points out that the Pope is a false ecclesiastical office. Indeed it is, but... There are no living apostles. And I'm not against any denomination or any, uh, you know, uh, any kind of uh, structured denomination here, like the Methodists with bishops and um, and uh, you know some kind of hierarchy structure like that. 뭐 감리교에서 비숍이란 단어를 쓴다고 그래서 아니면 주교란 단어를 쓴다고 해서 저는 어떠한 뭐 교단이라든지 어떠한 그룹을 지금 공격하거나 비판적으로 말하는 게 아닙니다. But biblically speaking, the word bishop, episcopal, is used interchangeably with With shepherd and elder. 성경에서 비숍이라는 단어, 우리가 소위 말하는 주교라는 단어는 오히려 목사, 
목자, 장로 이 단어들과 동의어로 쓰인 단어입니다. And the word pastor, the office of the pastor only appears one time in the New Testament. 그리고 아까 말씀드렸듯이 신약에서 직임으로 목사라는 단어는 한번 등장합니다. And the church in Korea, we built the whole ministry around the pastor around the 목사님. 근데 한국의 교회는 모든 교회의 사역을 목사라는 직임을 가진 자들 주변에 목사님 주변에 세웠다는 겁니다. But I thank God for HIM Korea. 하지만 제가 HIM 코리아로 인하여 주님께 감사드리는 것은 Through HIM Korea we are restoring the truth that apostles and prophets are for today. HIM 코리아를 통하여서 이땅 가운데 오늘날에도 사도와 선지자적인 리더들을 주님께서 세우신다는 진리를 선포하고 있다는 것입니다. We have apostles we've commissioned right here. Uh, in in Pasadena that are functioning as marketplace apostles or church apostles. 그래서 파세디나에서는 또 여기 한국 분도 오셔서 그렇게 했지만 실제적 Where does the Bible talk about marketplace apostles? It doesn't. 우리는 사도적 리더십을 가진 자들을 사도적 직임으로서 안수하고 파송하는 일을 하고 있습니다. I want you to turn with me Luke chapter 6. 누가복음 6장을 펴보겠습니다. Now, as you're turning to that, how many know you may not be a prophet, but we're all to be prophetic? Yeah, that's a weird, weird thing, because Scripture explicitly says not all are prophets. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 explicitly says, are all prophets? No. So why, are you, if not all are prophets, are you saying we need to all be prophetic? What are you saying? 사람들이 원하는 것은 우리 모두가 직임적으로 선지자의 부르심이 있는 건 아니지만 우리 모두가 예언적인 선지자적인 삶을 살아야 되는 걸 믿으시는 분손 들어봐 주시겠어요? All of us. 우리 모두가 What, is, what does that mean to be prophetic? 예언적으로 산다는 게 무슨 말입니까? We could all hear the voice of God. 우리 모두가 하나님의 음성을 듣는다는 겁니다. John 10:27 My sheep hear my voice. Yeah, again, John 10:27 here is out of context. And Jesus is not saying, my sheep hear my voice, a.k.a. That means they hear my voice via direct revelation. Jesus said to his apostles, the one who hears you, hears me. The one who hears me, hears the one who sent me. Uh huh. How do we hear the voice of Christ? Through the twelve, through the apostles, his apostles that he sent. That closed group, that, well, that, that's part of the foundation of the church. I know them, and they follow me. 요한복음 10장 20절에서 나의 양들은 나의 음성을 들으니 그들은 나의 음성을 듣고 나인 걸 알고 나를 따른다 했어요. How many know? Even though you may not be like a Todd White evangelist, we're all to share the gospel. 아니요, 우리가 목요일 금요일 오시는 타드 화이트 목사님 같이 길거리에서 직임적으로 전도 전도자로 부르심을 받지는 않았지만 우리 모두가 전도해야 된다는 걸 믿으시죠? We're to preach the gospel to every person. 우리는 우리가 만나는 모든 자들에게 복음을 전달해야 되는 자입니다. This is called the Great Commission. 그것이 바로 지상 대명령이에요. We say in America it's not the Great Suggestion but the Great Commission. 미국에서 뭐라고 미국에서 뭐라고 하느냐 이것은 지상 대권유가 아니라는 거예요. 이건 지상 대명령입니다. And so it's a mandate from God. And even though we may not be called to be an ordained pastor, we're to love and care for one another. We're to serve one another. We are our brother's keeper. 우리는 우리의 형제들을 지키는 자가 되어야 합니다. And of course we should all know the word that we can teach one another especially our children. 
그리고 또한 내가 교사적 직임이 없다 하더라도 내가 말씀을 공부하여서 최소한 나의 자녀들은 말씀을 교육할 수 있어야 돼요. 내가 부모라면 특별히 부모라면 자녀들이 말씀의 자녀들로서 자라날 수 있도록 가르치고 티칭할 수 있어야 합니다. So what does it mean then to be apostolic? 그래서 우리가 그러면 사도적으로 살아간다는 건 무슨 말이냐? We're all to be prophetic, evangelistic, pastoral. What does it mean to be apostolic? 우리가 다 예언 yeah. Yeah, when the creed says, I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church, it means it preaches the same gospel, same doctrine, the same apostolic teaching. That's what it means. 적으로 살아야 되고, 교사 적으로 살아야 되고, 복음 전도자 적으로 살아야 되는데, 그럼 사도 적으로 산다는 건 무슨 말이냐? Let's go to Luke 6, verse 12 and 13. 누가 6장 12절, 13절을 보겠습니다. Now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. 이때 예수께서 기도하시러 산으로 가사 밤이 새도록 하나님께 기도하시고. This is very significant because we see the humanity of Jesus here. 아주 중요한 구절입니다. 왜냐하면 여기서 예수님의 인성을 보게 됩니다. I believe Jesus is 100% God. 저는 예수님이 100% 하나님이셨다고 믿습니다. But he's also 100% man. 그리고 또한 이 땅에서 100% 인간으로 사셨어요. The of the 이것이 바로 성육신의 아, 이해할 수 없는 미스테리입니다. I believe when he started his ministry, he functioned as a man under the anointing and power of the Holy Spirit. 그래서 예수님께서 이 땅에서 사역하실 때에는 온전 Yeah, there's that false kenotic theology. Yeah, this is kenosis. False kenot, you know, kenotic Christology. You're going to have to go back into the archives to uh, I'll put a link up to it with today's episode. So we have a couple of links up there that will go with it today. Yeah, so yeah, I I have an, uh, a recent episode where, you know, from my lecture from last year's Pirate Christian Radio Conference where I take apart C. Peter Wagner's false canonic theology, that's going on here. No, Jesus did not do what he did under the operation of the Holy Spirit as a mere man. No, he is the God-man, and uh, wow, I, this is so bad. 인간으로서 성령님의 기름 부으심 안에서 사역하셨다는 것입니다. 기도해 보세요. 예수님이 하나님으로서 사역했다면 12명 선택해야 되는 사람이 하나님이니까 다 알지 뭐하러 선택하기 전에 기도하고 씨름하고 그것을 주님께 구해야 합니까? 예수님이 이 기도 시간을 통하여서 듣는 기도를 하셨다는 거예요. And then in verse 13, the text doesn't say anything about Jesus doing listening prayer. Doesn't tell us the content of his prayer at all. He just stuck that into the text. Here's what the text just simply says. In these days, Jesus went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose them and chose from them 12 whom he named apostles. Mhm. Who did the choosing? Jesus did the choosing. Yeah, it says that he prayed, but it doesn't say it was a listening prayer and that he had no idea who to choose. The text doesn't say that. That's eisegesis. He literally stuck information into the text that isn't there. And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself, and from them he chose twelve, whom he also named 밝음에 그 제자들을 부르사 그 중에서 열두를 택하여 사도라 칭하셨으니 흥미롭죠? Because he uses a secular term, secular title, apostolos. 
사도라는 단어는 아파스톨로스라는 단어인데 이것은 그때 당시 사회에서는 세속적인 용어였습니다. 세상 단어였어요. Why didn't he say prophets? 예를 들어서 선지자. He could have said, "Okay, you're now my prophets, and you're a new wineskin of prophets." 예를 들어 이렇게 말할 수 있어요. 너희들이 이제는 난 구약 성경에 나온 것 같이 선지자인데 이제는 새 부대 선지자다 이렇게 하셨을 수도 있어요. They would understand that terminology. 이 제자들이 그 단어는 이해했을 겁니다. Because Israel had a history of Major prophets that God sent to their nation. 왜냐하면 이스라엘은 자신들의 나라의 역사 가운데서도 하나님께서 보내신 선지자들이 있었기 때문에. You know, Abraham's called a prophet. 아브라함도 선지자라고 불렸고. 모세도 선지자라고 불렸고. Of course, you have people like Samuel. 사무엘. And then you have, of course, like Elijah and Elisha. 엘리야, 엘리사. And all the writers of the Old Testament, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, all prophets. 이사야, 다니엘, 예레미야 모두 다 선지자였어요. And then John the Baptist, the greatest prophet of them all. 그리고 사도 세례자 요한은 뭐라고 합니까? 모든 선지자 중에 가장 뛰어난 선지자라고 했어요. And he could say, "Okay, you're my prophets." 그래서 이렇게 아 그래 너네 이제 내 선지자야 하실 수 있었어요. You're my new wineskin of prophets. 너는 나의 나의 세부대적인 선지자야 하실 수 있었어요. But he didn't use that terminology. 근데 그 단어를 쓰지 않습니다. He used a secular term. Apostle. 예수님은 세상 용어, 세속 용어인 사도라는 단어를 씁니다. So we have to understand how that term was used by the Romans. 그래서 그때 로마 시대에 사도라는 단어가 어떻게 쓰였는지를 먼저 봐야 돼요. The Romans' whole vision and mo, a modus operandi, was to conquer territory. 로마의 가장 목표는 모든 영토를 So the reason why Jesus used the secular term apostolos, envoy, was because he wanted the disciples who became the apostles to go and conquer territory. Oh my goodness. <laughs> What do you call it when you stick something into the definition of a word that's not there? I mean, I, when you do it in the Bible, it's called eisegesis, but is this eisegesical dejesis? What is this? They were after land. They were not into art and music like the Greeks were, philosophy like the Greeks. Their whole ambition was to conquer as much territory as possible. 헬라인들처럼 뭔가 막 예술적인 거, 아름다운 거, 진리를 정복하는 게 아니라 로마의 목표는 딱 하나, 땅, 땅을 정복하는 거였어요. And when they conquered the territory, they realized unless they brought The Greek culture, I mean, and the Roman culture into that conquered territory, the people would rebel. 근데 땅을 정복해 놓고 보니까 그 정복한 지역에 로마의 문화를 가져오지 않으면 시간이 지나면 그들이 로마에게 다시 대항하고 다시 싸움을 거는 것을 목격한 거예요. And many of us understand this because when the Japanese took over South Korea, they brought Japanese culture. 한국 분들은 이걸 잘 이해하죠. 왜냐하면 일제 강점기에도 일본인들은 한국인들에게 일본 문화를 주입합니다. And this is not to cast aspersion on Japanese. In fact, I see Yasuko, some of my friends who are Japanese here from Japan. 제가 일본인들을 나쁘게 말하고 있는 것이 아닙니다. 요세 번째 주에도 제 친구분인 일본에서 오신 분들이 앉아 계세요. But I'm just trying to make a point here. 저는 그냥 그러한 일들이 있었다라고 말씀드리는 거예요. Because Japan was such a small nation, geographically speaking, they want to expand. But they realized they had to bring Japanese culture wherever they went. 일본도 로마인들 같이 이 이해가 있었다는 거예요. 자신들의 땅이 작으니까 땅을 더 정복하고 싶은데 정복한 땅에는 우리의 문화를 가져와야지 그게 영구한 우리의 영토가 된다라는 걸 깨달은 겁니다. And so 
My parents told me when they were under the Japanese occupation, they couldn't speak Korean. They had to speak Japanese publicly. 그래서 제 부모님들도 일제 강점기를 살았을 때를 기억하시면서 어 그때는 한국어를 말을 못했어, 일본어를 말했어야 됐어라고 말해주셨어요. All the education system schools had to teach Japanese. 모든 학교 시스템, 교육 시스템에서는 일본어를 가르쳤어야 됐어요. Well, the Romans did the same thing. 로마인들도 똑같이 했습니다. But to enforce it, they sent either a general. Or an admiral, if it was a coastal city, or a governor. 근데 이제 로마인들이 그 문화가 제대로 되는 것을 이제 문화를 정착시키고 그 일을 확실하게 위해서 장군을 보내거나 아니면 주지사를 보내거나 자신들의 정치인들을 보내거나 했습니다. And his job was to bring Roman culture to every part of the conquered territory. 그들의 목표는 무엇이냐? 그 정복한 영토 전 지역에 로마의 문화가 온전히 편만하게 퍼지고 정착되게 하는 것이 그들의 역할이었어요. 그 장군, 그 주지사, 그 정치인 yeah, those guys weren't the only apostles. Just saying. So I believe that Jesus was very intentional when he called the twelve apostles apostles. 그래서 저는 믿는 것은 예수님이 열두 제자를 사도라고 칭했을 때그 사도에는 그 단어에는 예수님의 의도가 있다는 것이에요. As Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. 예수님은 말하죠, 하나님의 나라는 내 나라는 이 세상의 것이 아니다. But my kingdom does have a culture. 하지만 내 나라는 문화가 있다. And I want you to be apostles of my kingdom. 그래서 얘들아, where did Jesus talk about the culture of the kingdom? 너희들이 나의 하나님의 나라의 사도가 되기 원한다. That's why they were mandated to preach the gospel of the kingdom, heal the sick, cast out demons, raise the dead. 그래서 우리에게 주어진 명령이 무엇입니까? 하나님 나라의 복음을 전하되 병자들을 Yeah, the gospel of the kingdom is actually the same as the gospel of salvation. Yeah, this will be tomorrow's episode of Fighting for the Faith. We're going to do an in-depth teaching on what it means you know, when we t- hear the word kingdom of God. We better get this right. So that will be tomorrow's episode. So apostles and those who are called to be apostolic, we must bring heaven's culture to our society. What? We have to bring heaven's culture to our society. <laughs> No, that's not what it means to be apostolic. I'm just saying. I mean, uh, so how successful are you at bringing heaven's culture to your society? Wow. Yeah, the talk about false apostles. 우리 모두가 사도적으로 살아야 되는 자들로서 우리의 목표는 뭐냐? 하늘의 컬처, 하늘의 문화를 우리의 문화 가운데, 우리 땅 가운데 가져와야 된다는 것입니다. And a culture is set of values. 문화라는 것은 각 문화의 고유한 가치들이 있어요. And so we have to ask the question, what's heaven look like? So Yeah, I have no idea. I've never been there. Is there racism in heaven? No, clearly not. Of course not. And yet, and this is why our culture heavenly Is there sickness in heaven? No. So we better we better you know bring the culture of heaven, you know, here to earth. Uh-huh. Does anyone die in heaven? No. We better bring the culture of heaven here to earth. You see, this is weird. Must take precedent over even our Korean culture. 그래서 우리가 한국 문화보다도 하늘의 문화가 앞서야 되고 그 위에 있어야 되는 것을 깨달아야 합니다. Now, we have this tension because we're citizens of two different 
kingdoms. 근데 여기에 이제 텐션이 있어요. 위기감이 있어요. 왜 그래요? 왜냐면 우리는 이 땅에서도 또 하늘에서도 시민권은 두 개를 가진 자이기 때문에. 우리는 모두 하늘의 시민권자임을 믿습니다. So I submit to the government in the United States until it conflicts with kingdom values. 그래서 저도 하나님 나라와 문화가 충돌되지 않는 한 미국인으로서 미국 정부에게 순종합니다. So for example, in heaven there's no abortion. 예를 들어서 하늘에는요 낙태가 없어요. There's no same-sex marriage. 거기는 동성애 결혼이 없습니다. But if my government makes that legal, that doesn't mean that I have to submit to that. 근데 내 정부가 그것을 합법으로 만든다고 해서 제가 그것을 따를 필요는 없는 거예요. Now I want to make this clear. Obviously, you know these are sins, right? But the discussion that he's having is not a discussion as You know, here's what God wills for us in our lives. Let's look at God's law, the Ten Commandments, or something like that. No, this is under the the umbrella of what it means to be apostolic, and we've got to bring the culture of the kingdom to earth. And again, in his own camp, I have heard people say, "Is there any sickness in heaven?" No. So we need to get rid of sickness in our church so that we can bring the culture of heaven to earth. That's not an ad hominem argument. That's an actual argument. Given by people in his camp, my job is bring heaven's culture into the government. 따르지 않는 것을 넘어서서 오이. No, our job is to preach the word, proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins, and make disciples, baptizing and teaching all that Christ has commanded. As citizens, dual citizens, you know, yes, we are exiles and sojourners here in this life. Um, you know, we are awaiting for the arrival of the kingdom. And we, you know, by, you know, through our good works, our salt and light and things like that, and, you know, we obviously stand out against the greater culture. That, this is most certainly true. But again, he's, Cheon thinks he's an apostle, um, and he's not. So we got a big problem here. He's not making careful distinctions. And although some of the things he's saying, they are true, They're not true in the you know in the sense that he's bringing them you know basically bringing them to bear in a way that is not actually faithful to what Scripture teaches regarding Christian sanctification, how our good works are salt and light, and things like that. 나의 역할은 그 하늘의 법을 하늘의 문화를 우리나라의 문화 가운데 가져와야 된다는 겁니다. And that's what it means to be apostolic. 그것이 바로 사도적으로 살아간다는 의미입니다. Apostles are to... No, it does not mean that to be apostolic. Bring reformation to society. 사도들은 이 세상에 이 사회에 Yeah, bring reformation to society is best way to put it. It is a side effect. Of the transforming work of the gospel in bringing people out of darkness into light, and so in, a, in any particular population, as Christians increase as an overall percentage of the population, it starts to have a huge impact on that society and and how it operates and treats others. But that's not actually the goal. That's a side effect, a positive one, of making disciples. 개혁을 가져오는 자들입니다. And I'm not talking about theocracy. 
That the government has to be run by Christians and by God. 저는 이것을 말할 때 모든 정부 관료자들이 다 하나님 믿어야 되고 다 크리스천 되어야 된다는 게 아니에요. And the Bible says we're to occupy and He comes. 성경, sorry. We're to occupy until Jesus comes. 성경에서 말하는 것처럼 예수님이 오시는 그날까지 우리는 계속해서 하나님 나라를 확장해 나가야 합니다. And I don't know what that looks like. 근데 그것이 어떤 모습이다라고 딱 정해서 예수님께서 재림하시기 전에 돌아오시기 전까지 얼마만큼 우리가 개혁해야 되고 변화해야 되는가 저는 몰라요. For example, extreme poverty I mentioned last night. 예를 들어서 어제 메시지 가운데 나왔던 극심한 빈곤층. Because now, you know, 1981 in China, 90% of the Chinese were in extreme poverty, less than two dollars a day. 어제도 나눴듯이 1981년도에만 하더라도 중국의 인구의 90%는 극심한 빈곤층. 그 정의가 뭐냐? 하루에 2달러, 2,000원. Now, real quick, he said that Jesus said, "Occupy until he comes." It's important that you understand where that text comes from. Mm-hmm. It's from Luke chapter 19, verse 13 in the King James. Let me just read it out of context so you can kind of see what's going on there. Uh, Luke 19, 13, and he called his 10 servants and, uh, and he delivered them 10 pounds and said to them, occupy until I come. So there it is. See, Jesus said, occupy until I come. And immediately, you know, my little antenna goes up and says, whoa, whoa, wait a second here. Can we check that with a modern translation and maybe reference the Greek there to see what's going on? So uh, Luke 19, 11, here's what it says in context. As they heard these things, Jesus proceeded to tell them a parable. Mm-hmm. Because he was going to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom was appear immediately. He said to them, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas. And he said to them, engage in business until I come. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in fact, the Greek word there, which is actually quite a, a handful as far as how it, if you were to transliterate, pragmatuomai, uh, pragmatuomai, to do business. And you know, literally, that's what it means, to do business, trade. It does not mean to occupy. So the King James here is, in you know, the, the word occupy is antiquated. And just saying, oh, Jesus said occupy until I come. no. No, actually, he said pragmatuomai until he comes, which actually means to do business, and it's in a parable. Uh-huh. So, again, big problem. So let's continue reading, though. So a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom, then returned, calling ten of his servants. He gave them ten minas, and he said, them, engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. And when he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered the servants whom he had given the money to to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, not by occupying, by doing business. The first came before him saying, Lord, your manna has made ten minas more. And he said, well done, good and faithful servant. Because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came and said, Lord, your mina has made five minas. Notice the mina does all the work. He said to him, 
you are to be over five cities. And then another one came and said, Lord, here's your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief, for I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. You take what you do not deposit, reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit, reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank? And at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. He said to those who stood by, take the mina from him, give it to the one who has 10 minas. And they said, what Lord, he has 10 minas. I said, I tell you that to everyone who has more will be given, but from the one who has not even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Mm -hmm. So you'll notice we're already beginning to see in uh, already. It's like we're more than halfway through the sermon. Thank God. Uh, we're we're seeing that uh, every time Shayan seems to handle God's word, he mishandles it. Yet he claims to hear the voice of Christ directly, uh, apart from the word. And the the theology, the ecclesiology of you know apostles that he's promoting, which is C. Peter Wagner's theology of apostles. This is not actually taught in Scripture. So, I mean, we got problems galore with uh, this presentation. And it's very helpful to hear it from the horse's mouth itself. Now, I'm not saying he's a horse, but I, you get the idea here. Yeah. We continue. But because of revival and reformation, they're now at... Uh... 90% prosperous and 10% in extreme poverty. 근데 중국 땅에서 일어난 부흥과 개혁 이후에 지금 현재에는 통계적으로 중국 인구의 10%만이 그 극심한 빈곤층에서 살아가고 있어요. And the trend is that it's going to be eradicated. Extreme poverty is going to be eradicated. 그래서 이것들을 보았을 때전 세계적으로 극심한 빈곤이 조금씩 조금씩 줄어들고 있는 게 사실이에요. But Jesus said something very interesting. 근데 예수님 아주 흥미로운 선포를 하십니다. He said the poor you're always going to have with you. 뭐라고 하십니까? 너의 주변에 언제나 가난한 자들이 있을 거라 했어요. So how much reformation are we going to see if there's always going to be some poor people? Yeah, there's no poverty in heaven. I mean, so you got to get rid of it, you know. 우리 인생에 언제나 가난한 자들이 있다고 하셨는데 얼마만큼의 개혁과 변화를 가져와야 되는 거지? But I do believe that the glory of the Lord is going to cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. 하지만 또한 동시에 제가 믿는 것은 이 땅에 물이 바다를 덮은 것 같이 하나님의 영광이 편만하게 될 거라는 거예요. That's in Habakkuk 2:14. 그것이 Yeah, don't you think that's referring to Jesus's return? 2장 14절의 명령 예언입니다. And God says, as surely as I live, the whole earth will be full of the knowledge of God. Yeah, indeed. And that's, that's kind of stunning. And then Revelation 11:15. The kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ. And he will... Yeah, again, revelation there. Don't you think that's referring to when Jesus returns in glory? Forever and ever. 이 땅의 세상이 하나님의 세상이 되어 예수 그리스도께서 영원히 통치하시는 나라가 될 거라 했습니다. Now I know some of you are saying, well, that will happen in the millennium after the second coming of Jesus. 많은 사람들이 어 그거는 천년왕국 시대의 이야기예요. 예수님이 온 후에 일어나는 일. Yeah, I think the context of those passages uh, lend themselves toward that understanding. 예요라고 말합니다. And my suggestion to you is why not have faith for that to take place before Jesus Christ comes? <laughs> what? 
oh, we should do it. Let's sound so pious. We should just have faith that this will happen even before he arrives. Oh, man. 여러분에게 선포하는 것입니다. 다윗 왕이 그랬듯이 그것이 예수의 재림에 있을 그 일이 우리 이땅 가운데 일어날 수 있도록 믿음이 갖는 것이 무엇이 잘못됐냐는 것입니다. Yes, when Jesus comes back, he's going to create a new heaven and new earth. 예, 예수님이 재림하시면 새 하늘과 새 땅을 창조하실 것입니다. But there was a man named Billheimer who wrote this book, Destined for the Throne. 하지만 Billheimer라는 목사님이 Destined to Throne이라는 책을 집필하셨는데. And his whole premise is that we are here on earth for the purpose of preparing us for our life to come after Jesus comes back. 그 책의 주제는 무엇이냐면 우리가 예수의 재림된 이후에 세상을 준비하기 위해서 우리는 이 땅에 창조받았다는 거예요. And his premise is that how we steward our time here on earth matters. 그분의 주장은 이겁니다. 그래서 우리가 이 땅에서 살아가는 이 시간이 너무나도 의미가 있고 중요하다는 거예요. So how are you being a reformer? 자, 그러면 여러분들 그러한 것 가운데 <웃음> See it matters. So are you being a reformer or not? Uh, again, I think that uh, Christians can participate in bringing reformation to the church. Apparently, this is our new mandate, you know, not make disciples, but be a reformer. Again, reformation's important, but the mandate is make disciples. Yeah, so where the church needs to be reformed in those areas in which it's conflicting with the mission to make disciples. And apostles, especially marketplace apostles, bring about reformation. Yeah, again, where does the Bible talk about marketplace apostles? I'm not familiar with those texts. 일터에 있는 사도적 리더들은 이 인간 사회에 개혁을 가져오는 자들이 되어야 합니다. So let me give you an example of a man named Peter Zhao. 그래서 예, 예를 들어 드리겠습니다. Peter Zhao라는 사람의 간증을 드릴게요. Peter is a professor at Beijing University Economics Professor. 아, 이분은 베이징 대학의 경제학 교수이십니다. And technically he resigned recently, but he was at the time he was the professor of economics. 아, 최근에 은퇴하셨는데 아, 제가 지금 간증드리는 이 시기에는 베이징에서 아, 아, 그 대학에서 경제학 교수셨어요. And he was also a visiting professor at Harvard University. 그렇다면 하버드 교 하버드 대학의 견민 교수셨습니다. Brilliant. 아주 뛰어나신 분이에요. Top economist globally. 전 세계적으로 아주 유명한 경제학자입니다. And he was a member of the Communist Party. 그리고 또한 공산당원이었어요. You could not teach at Beijing University unless you're a member of the Communist Party. 공산당원이 아니면은 베이징 대학에서는 절대 교수가 될 수가 없습니다. But something happened to him when he was a professor there. 근데 그가 거기서 교수직을 할때 무슨 일이 일어났어요? He began to notice that wherever Christianity penetrated a nation, that nation started to prosper. 그가 연구하면서 알아차린 것이 어 기독교가 어느 나라에 들어갈 때마다 그 나라가 형통케 되고 번영케 되는 걸본 거예요. So he decided to research Christianity. 그래서 기독교를 이제 리서 And so he went to the three self church, the government church. 그때 당시는 이제 정부 교회인 삼자 교회에 다니고 계셨는데. And it didn't do much for him. 아 삼자 교회를 가서 공부해 보니까 별로 도움이 안 됐어요. So he found an underground church and stuck into that service. 그래서 일부러 지하 교회를 막 찾아다녀 갖고 몰래 거기를 들어갔어요. And he becomes born again. 근데 거기서 예수님을 만나버린 거예요. And he's like this, this, you know, scales come off his eyes. He's awakened. He's revived. 마치 바울과 같이 눈꺼풀이 벗겨짐으로써 정말 다시 새롭게 되고 예수님께 구원을 받아버립니다. And he writes a paper that goes viral in China. 그리고 중국에서 아주 논란의 한 가운데 가게 되는 논문을 하나 써버립니다. Why Christianity is good for our economy? 제목이 이거예요. 
왜 기독교가 경제에 좋은가? He was the economic advisor to the president of China at that time. 그때 당시 중국의 대통령의 경제 자문으로 있었어요. So you have this marketplace apostle in a high place in Beijing University. Marketplace apostle. Okay. And one paper shifts the whole uh, Politburo and the Communist Party. 그래서 이 논문을 통해서 일토에 있었던 이 사도적 리더로 쓰임받은 이한 분을 통해 그 논문을 통해서 정부 가운데 놀라운 일이 일어나는 겁니다. And this is what he says. 근데 이 피터 교수님이 이렇게 말했어요. 이렇게 말했어요. 기독교인들은 대체적으로 정직하고 부패되지 않다. 그들은 권위에게 순종할 줄 안다. 그들은 이 땅을 위해서가 아니라 신을 위해서 일하는 자들이다. 그들은 단순히 나라에서 일하면서 월급 받는 것 이상의 목표와 비전을 가진 자들이다. 그래서 그 논문을 통해서 교회들을 핍박하던 강도를 정부가 줄여버립니다. 그것으로 인하여서 중국 땅의 교회가 폭발적으로 증가되게 됐습니다. 일터에 있는 하나의 사도적 리더를 통하여서 중국 사회의 개혁이 일어난 겁니다. So God uses apostles and to bring about reformation, but He also wants us to be apostolic. 그래서 하나님께서 사도들을 통하여서 이 땅의 개혁을 가져오지만 사도들이라 명칭을 받는 자들뿐만 아니라 우리 모두가 사도적으로 살아가기를 원하신다는 겁니다. You know, when you look at the revivalists in history and those who are great reformers, they were all apostles. 역사를 보더라도 부흥가들이라고 불리던 자들, 개혁가라고 불리던 자들도 다 사도들이었어요. John Wesley was an apostle. John Wesley 목사님도 사도였습니다. And now is the you know second largest Protestant denomination in America is the Methodist denomination. 미국에서 두 번째 큰 교단이 바로 감리 교단입니다. And is the I think second largest denomination here. In Korea, 제가 알기로는 한국에서도 장로교와 감리교가 가장 큰 교단이라고 제가 알고 있는데. But what you may not know is that he wrote against slavery way before Wilberforce was even born. 근데 이존 웨슬리는 윌버포스가 태어나기 한참 전부터 노예제도에 반대하는 글을 쓰신 분이에요. He he advocated prison reform. 그 그들은 그 이분은 그 감옥을 개혁해야 된다라는 글을 쓰신 분이에요. Because 그때 당시 영국 사회에서 감옥의 그 수감자들에게 너무 학대를 하고 좋지 않게 했기 때문에. And so what he did was he collected food and so did Wesley consider himself an apostle? Now that now they're just going back and just naming all these. See they, they we had apostles with us the whole time and we had no idea. From his church members and brought to prisoners and clothed them because they were just in rags. 이분들은 어떻게 했냐면 교회 교인들을 모아서 음식을 꾸리고 옷을 모아가지고 그 수감자들에게 가서 먹이고 그들의 옷을 입히고 하는 사역을 했습니다. He studied medicine. 그리고 또한 그 그분은 약학 박을 공부했어요. 그때 당시에는 중세 사회에서 지속된 주술적인 의학이 여전히 있었기 때문에. And he encouraged the pastors to exercise. 그리고 목사님들에게 더 운동하고 몸을 가꾸세요. 음식을 제대로 드세요. It was amazing. His mentality wasn't just to see souls saved, which was primary, you know, the goal, but it was to see transformation in lives. 그래서 이분은 단순히 영혼 구원받는 거 물론 그것이 그에게 가장 주된 목표였지만 또한 동시에 사회가 변혁되는 것을 보기 원했던 분입니다. Martin Luther was an apostle. 마틴 루터도 사도였어요. Beyond the three... what? 
<laughs> yeah, I, I'm a Lutheran, and you know we don't talk about Martin Luther in this way. Truths. I talked about authority of Scripture and justification by faith and priesthood of believers. 제가 아까 말씀드렸듯이 믿음으로 구원받는 것, 만인 제사장설, 그 다음에 말씀의 권위 이세 가지 진리를 선포한 것뿐만 아니라. He wrote two books, real short books, Babylonian Captivity. 바벨론이안 캡티비티라는 바벨론 포로라는 이 조그만 책을 또 집필하셨는데. And this book called Address to Nobility. 그리고 나서 Address to Nobility, 그러니까 높은 곳에 있는 자들에게 뭐 권합니다라는 책 제목이에요. He was writing to the nobles, the elite, the royal family, and those who were wealthy in his nation. 그 사회에 있는 왕족들, 돈이 많은 자들, 부유한 자들, 상류층들에게 쓴 권면 책이었어요. I mean, Luther was brilliant. He knew that in order to change society, you had to reach the leaders. Really, the and Reformation takes place by reaching kings. And revivals among the poor. Luther는 깨달았던 것입니다. 자신이 속해 있는 사회를 변혁시키는 것 가운데 리더들이 그 왕들이 필요하다는 걸안 거예요. 그래서 그가 뭐라고 말합니까? 부흥은 가난한 자들을 위한 것이고 개혁과 변혁은 왕들을 통하여 이루어진다라고 말했어요. And his whole message in those two books is about reformation in the family. 그 조그만 책자인 그두 가지의 책자의 주제는 무엇이었냐? 가족들과 사회의 변혁을 가져오는 주제입니다. Family is one of the seven mountains, maybe the most important mountain of the seven mandate. 우리가 seven mountain 일곱 개의 사회 영역에 대한 메시지 중에 가장 중요한 산이 바로 가족입니다. It's the first mountain that God established in Genesis 1:28. 하나님께서 창세기 1장에서 가장 먼저 세운 So there's seven mountain mandate talk. 영역 산이 바로 가족이에요. And here's what he wrote. 마틴 루터가 이렇게 씁니다. He said priests should get married. They should not remain single. 이렇게 말했어요. 사제들은 결혼해야 한다. 싱글로 살아가서는 안 된다라고 썼어요. And he gave like five reasons why. 그리고 다섯 가지 이유를 제시합니다. First of all, God mandates that in Genesis 1:28 be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. 첫 번째, 창세기 1장 28절에서 생육하고 번성하여 땅에 충만하라는 주님의 명령이 있다. And he says that whatever religious system said a priest had to be single is not biblical because the Bible says that we have to. Multiply and be fruitful and have families. 인간의 종교 시스템이 어떠한 시스템이고 교단이든지 간에 성직자는 사제는 싱글이어야 된다라고 말하는 건 성경적이지 않다. 왜냐하면 생육하고 번성하도록 우리에게 명하셨기 때문이다라고 말했어요. Now he did say there are some people called to be celibate because Jesus taught that. 물론 책에서 예수님이 가르치신 것 같이 부르심에 따라서 몇몇 사람들에게 하나님이 싱글로서 평생을 살도록 부른 사람이 있다라는 건 명명이에요. That should be the exception and not the norm. 근데 그것이 그 사람들이 소수라는 거지 대부분의 사람들에게는 그러한 부르심이 없다는 겁니다. Second, he said. Priests or pastors should set an example for the whole church. 두 번째, 성직자들, 목사님들이 교회의 모델이 되어야 되고 예시가 되어야 된다라고 And how can we set the example of family and marriage and parenting if we can't get married? 그래서 목사가 리더가 가족에 대한 예시를 제시해야 되는 사람이 결혼도 안 했고 자녀도 없고 자녀 교육도 안 해봤으면 어떻게 예시가 될수 있는가? Thirdly, he says celibacy is causing immorality. 세 번째 이유는 싱글로서 살아가야 된다는 그 종교적 가르침이 오히려 성적 부도담을 증가시켰다. All these young people who are called to priesthood, you know, they're at the height of their, uh, you know, 
hormonal desires. 젊었을 때 내가 성직자로서 살아가겠다고 하는 그 젊은 나이에 호르몬 반응과 그 그런 것들이 몸속에 가득하잖아요. And so they started to compromise. 그래서 그 사회에서 실제적으로 I mean, 성적인 타협을 all 그들이 해버립니다. History of Roman Catholic, there was immorality by even popes and by bishops. And by priests. 로마 카톨릭의 역사를 보더라도 사제들, 주교들 그 모든 사람들 가운데 성적 부도남이 계속해서 문제로서 대두되게 됩니다. Fourthly, he said this. 네 번째 이유는 이거였어요. True holiness is achieved not in the monastic life. 진정한 거룩함은 싱글로서 살아가는 삶에서 얻어지지 않는다. Because he said, I've been a priest for many years and and I'm basically lazy. <laughs> 루터가 이렇게 자기 책에 썼어요. 나도 내 평생의 성직자로서 살아왔는데 내 삶이 얼마나 나태한지 보게 됐다. And and 내가 하는 것은 앉아서 성경 읽고 기도하고 하는 것밖에 없다. But marriage and family will make you holy. 근데 결혼 생활과 가정이 한 인간을 거룩하게 만든다고 썼어요. Because when you are married and you have a family, you have to lay down your life and serve. 왜냐하면 결혼하고 가족이 생기면 나의 배우자와 가족들을 위해서 내 생명을 내려놓을 줄 알아야 되기 때문에. How many can I say amen to that? Those who are married, that family has caused you to be more sanctified than anything else. 결혼 생활이 나를 더 거룩하게 만들고 있습니다라고 믿는 분들 아멘 해주시겠어요? Amen. Yeah, you gotta die to self. 왜냐하면 우리가 매일 스스로에게 죽어야 되거든요. Because it's not about yourself. 왜냐하면 결혼 생활은 나여 가는 게 아니에요. And so he said. We need to get married. 그래서 루터는 말합니다. 결혼해야 한다. Then he said something that was amazing, brilliant, that improved the economy. 그리고 나서 경제를 정말로 개혁적으로 뛰어나게 만든 놀라운 또 이유를 하나 제시해요. He said, if you're just single celibate, you're not thinking about making money, but just feeding yourself. 싱글로서 계속해서 살아가야지 라는 마음이 있는 사람은 돈벌 생각도 없다는 거예요. 나 혼자 먹고 살면 되니까. But if you're married and you have children, 근데 결혼하여서 자녀를 양육하게 되면, you have to provide for them. 그들에게 공급자가 되어줘야 돼. And that will make you industrious. 그렇대 열심히 일을 한다는 거야. You're going to find ways to make money, not just for your immediate need, but even for legacy for generations to come. 나 스스로의 필요 이상, 아니면 심지어 나의 가족들 이상 이후로 후손들을 위해서 내가 근면 성실하게 일하는. Yeah, this is a fine explanation of Luther's concepts. This doesn't make Luther an apostle. Greatest fruits of the Reformation is that all of a sudden they pass. You know, in 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 Germany, that priests can get married, and the monasteries just emptied. 종교 개혁을 통하여서 일어난 가장 핵심적이고 개혁적인 일이었던 것이 이제는 사제들이 결혼을 하게 되는 것이었고 수도원들이 문을 닫게 된 것입니다. And the king protected Martin Luther from being assassinated by the Pope. 그리고 왕이 주교들로부터 마틴 루터가 살해당하지 않을 수 있도록 정부가 보호해줬어요. By the way, the first eight years of the Reformation, Martin Luther remained single. 근데 종교 개혁 이후에 마틴 루터 스스로는 종교 개혁 한지 8년 동안은 여전히 결혼하지 않습니다. Because he thought he was going to be executed, assassinated by the Pope, and he didn't want to be a martyr and leave a widow and children without a husband and a father. 그 이유가 무엇이냐? 종교 개혁을 함으로써 아, 나는 당연히 이렇게 어, 주교들에게 살해당할 것이라고 생각해서 순교할 거라고 생각했기 때문에 나의 아내와 나의 자녀들이 어, 결혼한 이후에 남편이 없어지고 아버지가 없어지는 걸 원치 않았기 때문에 팔년 결혼하지 않습니다. 근데 이제 정부가 나를 보호한다라는 걸 깨닫고 나서 결혼하게 됩니다. 아, 이전에 수녀로서 살았던 자와 결혼해요. 
예언적인 행동을 한 겁니다. As a priest, he married a nun to demonstrate that this is God's will. 과거의 신부였던 자가 과거의 순녀였던 자와 결혼하면서 이게 하나님의 뜻이다라고 여주 선포한 거예요. And he ended up having six children. 그리고 나서 여섯 자녀를 둡니다. And to this day, pastors like me and Pastor Bill, we can get married. Can we say hallelujah to that? 그래서 최한 목사도 빌존슨 목사도. Yeah, see, the Reformation was started by one of the modern-day apostles, apparently. Apostle Martin Luther. Who knew? Who knew? Apostles bring about reformation. Come on, let's thank the Lord. Talk about circular reasoning. Um, Luther did not consider himself to be an apostle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nor did he talk about the importance of ongoing apostles or... <laughs> In fact, he used the term apostolic to mean that you taught the apostolic doctrine. Yeah, so this is this is like smoke and mirrors, man. And it's like not even a good example of smoke and mirrors. So God wants to bring reformation through you because you are to be apostolic as a people. Where did you learn logic? How does that follow? 뿐만 아니라 여러분 모두가 사도적 삶을 살도록 부르심 받았기 때문에 여러분들을 통해 하나님은 이 땅에 개혁을 가져오기 원하시는 겁니다. And next message I preach on Thursday I'm going to talk about how kings and priests bring about reformation how you're going to bring it about. 그래서 이제는 목요일에는 여러분들 왕과 같은 제사장들이 어떻게 이땅 가운데 변혁과 개혁을 가져오는지를 살펴볼 거예요. Hopefully be more practical. 그래서 목요일에는 조금 더 여러분들에게 실제적인 메시지가 될 겁니다. So let's stand up. I want to pray for you. 그래서 자리에서 일어나시기 바랍니다. 함께 기도하기 원합니다. Done. Sorry. Yeah, you don't get to pray for us. So there you go. The uh, apostle. Yeah, to put that in air quotes. Uh, Shayon explaining the new apostolic reformation for us with uh, with the help of even a translator, and doesn't matter what language you translate that into, that translates into false doctrine, a false ecclesiology. It's not the truth, and uh, he pulled a theological fast one. That's the only way I could describe it. So uh, you get the idea. So what did you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, by carious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.